Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Hey, everybody. Good to see you tonight. How are you doing? How are you doing, Mr. Real? You're looking quite dapper. RFM, it has been a fun 24 hours. I, uh, I'll i just say here at the beginning, you are definitely much more cool, calm, and collected. I promise everybody. Hey, folks. I promise everybody I wasn't unhinged last night or this morning. Uh, I'm being very methodical and thought out about what I do, but I definitely am more emotional. And I, I'll just share a little bit here for just a moment, RFM, because we've got a, we got an episode that this stuff is, gets to me a little bit. And I love the look on your face. This stuff. Gets I hadn't to me noticed. Just, yeah. Yeah. By the way, can we talk about important stuff for a second? Please. Did you get a haircut? That? I did get a haircut. Uh, got it. Uh, the day after thrive was over. I hope you didn't um, leave a tip. Uh, well, you know, whatever. Is it too bad? That's, you don't that's like just it. a rude thing to say. That's a Don Rickles kind of thing but, to say. No, I no, actually but, like it. I think you look really kind of posh. Well, thank you, my friend. Um, There's only so the, much I can do with my hair, so believe me, I'm envious. Good. Well, I I like the haircut. My wife likes it a lot, and I've gotten a few compliments, so I like Mo it. Mo says you look like a million bucks. Good. I like to hear that. Now, if you only had five million bucks, you could pay the fine for the church and the EPA to the SEC, which, by the way, is due Friday. The The fine money is due on Friday. Yes. That's a lot Ten of money days after to the send date of over. the order. That's I'm a lot sorry. of money. That's a lot of money just to send over by typing in an account number and a routing number and hit and send. Yeah. They're not even going to feel it. What they yeah. are feeling is the publicity, though. Yeah. By the um, way, does everybody know what we're talking about? I'm sorry. I just kind of jumped in with both feet. I apologize. Maven, what are you doing? Are you saying, are you talking? Because I can't hear you. It. Dang it. <laughs> At least you didn't say you're muted, though. <laughs> you no, didn't you just say did. it. Yeah, I said it. So, yeah, no, I um, I just wanted to talk about Thrive real quick before we, we jump in to the Please. meat of the episode. I just wanted to say it was really awesome. I met a lot of you, and I really appreciated everyone who came up to me um, and who started out with, you don't know me, but... Um, because then I didn't have to worry that I was a terrible person uh, for not knowing someone that came up. Although I guess I won't have that for next Thrive. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that was the best part of it uh, was meeting people. So anyway, uh, that's all that I wanted to come on and say. Thrive was so. a ton of fun. RFM, for anybody who missed your talk, you, I, I, typed, I texted you about halfway through your presentation. And I just said, you're effing brilliant. And I said the F word, you know, in the text. And you weren't going to see it until later on. But and then your talk got even better. You told this, you, you started off with a bunch of stand-up witty humor that had the whole room laughing that you were just doing off the cuff. Then you told this really uh, sad but incredibly touching story about uh, having lost a, a pet when you were young. And I couldn't tell where you were going, but I knew that you'd, you'd pull it all back in. And by the end, you yep. 
you created uh, a meaning in that story that I think applied to every person in that room. Uh, and I just thought you'd were incredible. Like on a one to 10, I literally give that a, like a 13. It was, it was brilliant. Wow, we turned it up to 11. It was great. Arthur, yeah. Thank you, you. You are a good storyteller. So it's not just the information you present on your um, on your episodes, mm -hmm. but it, that kind of, um, it's a craft, really. It, it, it is. It, it was marvelous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it has me been blush. recorded. <laughs> yeah, people are asking in the chat, like, was it recorded? Most of Thrive, I don't think, was. But I do believe RFM has a recording, and I am asking, and I have asked, uh, that it be made into a podcast. So yeah. I guess it depends on how the audio turned out. Yeah. He was really working the room. So that might have affected it because it was being recorded on someone's phone and he was going all the way around. Um, I mean, I guess you still had the microphone. So hopefully it still yeah. is good. And I guess Carrie has it too. <laughs> we'll have to reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> I am working on seeing what I can do to get that uploaded. Perfect. Sweet. All right, Excellent. I'm gonna well, hop off, and we we can get back to the the meetup. Okay, <laughs> perfect. And the good news uh, is it's only half an hour. Yeah, yeah, we're already half hour in, just about, huh? No, so, no, my my presentation. Everybody's gonna love every minute of. There wasn't ten seconds that you weren't being a master performer uh, in that, and so I really, I know, I know, you don't want to hear that, but you really, you really were, and it was amazing. Um, I'll just say here really quickly about the last twenty four hours, you know. We, we played by the rules. We played by the rules, uh, you know, two months ago when we played a clip of Rick Bennett uh, program to show what Brian Hales was saying in that uh, episode where we talked about automatic writing. And behind the scenes, Rick was an ass to me in his conversation. Again, I'm, people can say whatever they want, but he was, he was deeply rude and trying to talk down to me and then, you know, took our episode down for a bit and then doesn't go through with his end of wanting to actually fight it. Cause I think he knows that we were playing by the rules. I've, I've been in the space with believers, you know, 10 years ago, I started a podcast and I interview Brad Wilcox and I interview Terrell Givens and I interview Patrick Mason and I interview, you know, all these folks, um, Brant Gardner, um, just you name it. And those Mormonism is so messy. Like when you're on the outside looking in, you're like, oh my gosh, it has so many things stacked against it. And then we get this moment that we're going to talk about tonight. There's this moment where I think it's maybe one of these moments that only comes around once every hundred years in Mormonism where something is so problematic that it is the perfect moment for the people who propose who put themselves into the arena and propose that they are the truth tellers. They're the ones that you should trust. It's not Bill real. It's not radio free Mormon. It's not John DeLynn. It's not Lindsay Hansen park. We we're the ones trust us on the inside. And here's the moment where it is so clear cut that these three guys at the top are just scam artists perpetuating a fraud that, um, it would be so easy for one of these guys to come forward and they would be the hero of the day. If they came forward and said, this is it. I cannot do this any longer. What happened at the top over the course of 25 years, four, four, uh, four first presidencies, it, it, the amount of planning and strategy and manipulation and, uh, the, the degree to which that is, it seems so egregious. That how can you, how can these informed folks 
allow three guys at the top that have carried this out over, over two and a half decades and not raise a voice and go, okay, I can't, I can't do it this way anymore. This just doesn't work. And you can see it at this moment. It's going to pass by and not a single one of them is going to stand up and say a thing and they'll go back in a month or two. They'll be quiet for a while. They won't say a word. Cause you know, if we can get them on saying something, they're going to own that. It was not a, it wasn't healthy. There was fraud. It wasn't, but they're going to, they're going to tiptoe around it and we'll end up this moment's going to pass without anybody on the inside holding these top three accountable and they get to go Oaks and Iring and Nelson get to wake up tomorrow morning and they get to pretend they're prophet seers and revelators again. And it's, and we're all, everyone on the inside is collectively agreeing to hallucinate that the church is true and it's everything it claims to be. And if nobody on the inside speaks up, then the moment just keeps going and the, the pretend just keeps going on. So anyway, the, I, I just wanted to see if I could let these folks know that there was an important moment in front of them in such a way that they, they might be forced to look in the mirror and see it and say something about it. And I am utterly disappointed because I was there not too long ago. And I just, I know where I was. I couldn't have sat with this story any more than the November 15th policy and been okay with it. Well, I think my thoughts are, just a couple of things at the outset. Please. First off, the first presidency, all three of them, have demonstrated that they are not trustworthy. These are not people in whom anyone should reasonably place their trust for anything, regardless of whether it's what they're doing with the tithing and all the great efforts they went through to hide how much they had. And the second thing that occurs to me, which is about President Oaks, do you remember a number of years ago, it may have been in 2017, when he and Elder Ballard did that face-to-face -face with that wonderful sound clip from Elder Ballard that you played many times on this program about uh, speaking on behalf of the First Presidency and the Apostles since the beginning of time that we've never hidden anything from anybody. Yeah. You remember, I have remarked before about how President Oaks is on the same stage sitting next to Elder Ballard as he's going through that long denial of ever having hidden anything from anybody. And Elder Oaks not saying anything, but instead sitting there and looking like the cat that ate the canary. Well, now we can understand why. Because he was a member of the first presidency at the time Elder Ballard was saying this. And he knew that this was going on and that the church with his vote, his sanction, his approval was engaged in rather an elaborate scheme to hide how much money the church had. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to start off with a different subject for just a few minutes. I just want to make one quick point with this one. And um, and I appreciate your thoughts. And uh, I don't know what it is. I, I really just feel down today, deeply disappointed because I thought the the integrity, I thought the integrity, this would push the line so far that integrity on the other side would demand that at least somebody spoke up. Well, remember, integrity on the other side, and if by the other side you mean the leaders of the church and the TVMs out there, 
Integrity is defined differently. Integrity is defined not as loyalty to the truth. Integrity is defined as loyalty to the church. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having to sort of sit with that and hold that, it, uh, it, it just doesn't feel good today. Well, there's so, an old uh, saying that, <laughs> that you, don't, you don't really see how bad things are until the tide goes out. And what has happened with this SEC order, which we're going to be going over. And by the way, the idea of tonight's show, which Bill came up with, is to try and give a simplified version of what this SEC order uh, contains, what it is that happened here, and how it was that this was more than simply a failure to file a form with the Securities and Exchange Commission more. on the yeah. part of the church. Mm. But yeah, when the tide goes out, that's when you see what's stinking. Yeah. And this, the tide has gone out. We've got the order here. And believe me, it smells to heaven. Yeah. So I'm going to throw up here on the, well, I'm probably going to throw up at some point too, but I'm going to throw up on the screen <laughs> here. I was worried there for a second. I thought we were going to yeah. have a scene out of The Exorcist with projectile vomiting. So let me uh, let me switch our screen around a little bit. So Religion News Service, Jana Reese, recently, she went into the temple changes. And I just want to talk about these for a moment. Um, you know, they talk about informed consent and not really, but kind of, right? So the church now at least tells you what the four or five covenants you'll be making before you before you make them. So that way, when you have the invitation that you can leave, you at least sort of know what you're getting into, but not exactly. So it's the appearance of informed consent. Jesus is spoken of, not not Jehovah, who's building the the planets and stuff, but um, Jesus himself makes his way in. The war in heaven makes its way in. No touching until the very end. I think COVID did some of that in, and the awkwardness of of doing secret signs, tokens, and handshakes and stuff. That no witness couple anymore. Now it's just Adam and Eve up on the screen. Adam and Eve are in their temple clothes. Multiple reminders. And this used to be true, right? The, they used to have a phrase in the temple endowment that said something like, this is all figurative. And it was taken out decades ago. But now there is the reminder back into the presentation that this is symbolic. And so uh, there's a little room there to see it as not literal. The, the big one that I want to talk about tonight is this idea that loud laughter is gone. You no longer covenant to avoid loud laughter. Uh, and then they've got more diverse racial representation inside, continuing movement toward gender equality, more exhortations to obey, and then some small changes to the creation narrative. Still the same length, and they give encouragement to come back to the temple. And uh, They give encouragement at the end, please come back. Yeah, to, to keep coming back. And what I was thinking about was all the way through time, um, since 18, what, 42, 43, the endowments put into, into place, we're told that it is given as straight from God. It's not alterable. The ordinances can't be changed. You have all that rhetoric early on in Mormonism because the, the endowment was restored. Like the, we never were taught it was an ongoing restoration of the endowment. It was restored. And now people had the signs, tokens, and keys, as Brigham Young said, to pass by the sentinels who guard the gates of heaven. But it doesn't take long before uh, the penalty oaths are removed. The new and everlasting covenant, which was clearly polygamy in the early church, is altered into being just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you have women obeying 
promising to be obedient to their husbands as their husbands obey God. And you had this covenant to obey loud laughter. Those were the four that I could easily think of. To obey loud laughter? Oh, I like sorry. to think of getting rid of the loud laughter clause as the Radio Free Mormon revision. Yeah, so they made room for for a little more comedy, huh? You can laugh a little harder now. I've been but waiting the covenant, for this Yeah, the covenant to avoid loud laughter, there are at least those four where there have been direct changes to the requirements by which a Latter-day Saint could follow and believe and hence be judged on Judgment Day and be exalted in the celestial kingdom. Um, Maven, if you don't have it, I'll have it here. But do you have the Russell M. Nelson video clip? No. Okay. Let me put it up here. So give me a second. It's going to be. Let's. Um... Oh, you're, you're muted, my friend. You're. Well, I was trying to fill the dead air. Do you Sorry, have the clip I already? I, I do. Give me a moment here. So um, the timestamp on this is going to be 14-14 on the first little bit. Um, oh, there he is. He's so much younger. 14-14. Ta-da. Let's see here. He only looks about 250 there. See if this plays and see if there's an echo. I can mute myself if there is. God changed the law that required the atonement. Divine doctrines cannot be squeezed into compact molds to make them fit fashionable patterns of the day. So the first one is doctrines can't be changed to fit fashionable molds of the day, the, the way the world's changing. And I just want to note for a minute that when you look at every change they've made in the last decade, it has been to cater to the youth in a changing world where the absurdity of Mormonism and the weirdness of it all is compelling these old guys to make significant changes that, that in the last 10 years, you know, prior to the gospel topic essays, Mormonism was pretty felt somewhat consistent through the eighties and the nineties and, you know, two thousands. And suddenly the, they really, these brethren have to deal with the internet head on and they are changing the church left and right to the point where I don't think there's any way to see the other than they are changing doctrines to appease a, uh, to appease the molds of a, of a certain kind of changing world. Um, your thoughts just on that for a moment. Yeah. My thoughts are basically about his tie. Even back then when he's giving this talk, he has, he's got such an incredible tie Look at that tie. I would wager you that tie costs more than the best suit I have ever worn in my life. That you like the tie. All right. Well, let me. Um... Nor the man knows how to tie a tie. That's all I'm saying. And then the other soundbite here is 1430 to 1503. Let me get that one. 1430. Put this one back up. And uh, here's this one. On a bumper sticker. Another unchanging principle, brothers and sisters, is that of your eventual judgment. Each of you will be judged according to your individual works and the desires of your hearts. You will not be required to pay the debt of any other. 
your eventual placement in the celestial, terrestrial, or telestial kingdom. Just to note, Brigham Young taught that you could help someone pay their debt and uh, you could act as a savior on Mount Zion with blood atonement, right? And mm -hmm. so even on that level, like, he's speaking about a certain brand of Mormonism, but he's not really uh, encompassing all of the things that prophets have taught when he says that. Um, will not be determined by chance. The Lord has prescribed unchanging requirements for each. You can know what the scriptures teach and pattern your lives accordingly. Unchanging requirements. The church, because it's consistent, because it's God's one and only living, true, uh, true, uh, God's one and only true church, the only living and true church upon the earth with which the Lord, the Lord is well pleased. It, we've always been taught since you joined, since I joined, that this thing was consistent. Yeah, it's adding a little bit here and there, but the doctrine doesn't change. Uh, brother, um, Oh, goodness, what's his name about uh, Neil Anderson? Neil Anderson, you know, give Joseph a break. He he talks about how our doctrine is not hard to find. And this idea of unchanging requirements, and yet it doesn't take an informed person very long to sit down and go, there's a number of requirements that have changed uh, to the point where Charlie Harrell, I'm sure every time he hears stuff like this, has to chuckle or giggle uh, at the fact that it does. Any Any thoughts on kind of Mormonism talking out both sides of its mouth? I guess that uh, when you're talking about the loud laughter, the RFM revision to the temple endowment, apparently you can laugh loudly now and it's okay. It's not going to affect that ultimate judgment before Jesus on the final day. But I don't know. Last year, that was a no-no. Yeah, last year, you and I made covenants not to laugh loudly. Yes. And the kid going through the temple today is not making a covenant to avoid loud laughter and he gets to laugh whenever he wants. Um, this thing, there's no part of this thing that's sacred. There's no part of this thing that isn't going to change if we give it long enough. And I'm really glad about the change more. because now I've got a shot at the celestial kingdom. Maven. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to jump in and say, you know, I covenanted to hearken to my husband, which, you know, the young ladies today are not having to do. Um, although they did, I guess they did change the part. I mean, males were told they were going to become kings and priestess, priests to God, and women would be queens and priestesses to their husband. That was for me. Although now I guess that's been changed to like queens and priests to the everlasting covenant, the new and everlasting covenant. I think that's my understanding, which is basically another uh, reference to polygamy, which is still basically um, to their husbands, but just not so overt anymore um being tricky tricky with the language so yeah yes the more the church changes the more it stays the same yeah 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 and the parts of it in terms of it trying to um it trying to keep people in and manipulate them and not knowing the information that part stays the same but all of the names of things everything that has a title uh, it gets changed, you know, we're down from home teaching to ministering servants and like everything is changeable. All of it changes and it still keeps rolling along unhealthy and doing things that it shouldn't be doing. And so I just want to note that part about the temple changes that, cause I know that's something that happened about a month ago. We, we didn't get to it when it first happened and I wanted to at least acknowledge it and briefly explain, uh, 
where Mormon uh, theology and doctrine run into uh, a contradiction with what uh, is actually happening versus what leaders have said in the past. All right, so now we'll go into um, the stuff with the SEC. And I'll put this up on the screen. And uh, oh, that's not the one. We'll use this one. All right. So let me have you first, uh, before we go into detail about what's in this slideshow, dealing with the SEC, RFM, would you just give us kind of a 20,000-foot view of what's been going on the last week or so? With this? Yeah, the, the, the bottom line is that this is not simply forgetting to file a document with the Securities Exchange Commission. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Uh, about 20 years ago, 1997 or so, the church decided they were going to start an investment company, and that's the Enzyme Peak Advisors, the EPA. They are an investment company. All they do is manage the church's money. And they started it off with $7 billion, which is a nice hefty amount to start off an investment uh, portfolio. And $7 billion, they did a great job at Enzyme Peak. They uh, have a bunch of money managers. Apparently, it's all partitioned off so that nobody knows the total amount except for the general manager of the entire EPA, which at least for part of the time was, I believe, was Roger Clark. And so what you've got is a bunch of money. They're fantastically successful. They're making more and more money. Their investments are doing great. And so they get huge kudos for that, I'm sure. I mean, it's better than losing money in the stock market. But this right now, this is not the real estate. This is not uh, gold. It's not. Uh, it's nothing except for investments in the United States stock market. That's where the seven billion starts. All right, and there is a requirement, believe it or not, with the federal government. The federal government created some time ago a commission called the Securities Exchange Commission, and one of their main jobs is to make sure that everybody's playing by the rules in the stock market. So if you are a, an investment business where you invest other people's money, I know people who do it. I don't do it myself. Sometimes think maybe I should have gotten into that business because a lot of them do pretty well. If you are investing and your assets that you're investing in your company are over, oh, I think it's $100 million, okay? Then you go to a higher level of scrutiny by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And what they want you to do, what's required of you by the law since, oh, I don't know, 1934, is to file paperwork on a quarterly basis with the federal government, i.e. the SEC. And this paperwork is pretty straightforward, I think. I mean, it can be complicated, but the basic idea of this paperwork is to verify what stocks you have that you're managing and their fair market value. So that's one of the main things that's going on. And I'm just gonna leave it at that. There's a, a couple of other things that are required. We'll get to that later on as we get into more details, but just trying to keep this as simple as possible. Okay, so now the church starts with 7 billion at Enzyme Peak, and now they start getting more and more money. There is a problem from their point of view because they don't want anybody to know how successful they are being in the stock market. They don't want anybody to know. They don't want the members to know. They don't want the federal government to know. They don't want anybody in the entire world to know, except for the general manager of Ensign Peak, the three members of the presiding bishopric, and the three members of the first presidency. 
These are the only people in the entire world who get to know how much money they have. This is very important to them. And they went to a great deal of effort and trouble and illegality in order to hide how much money they had. So here's what they did. As they continue to make more and more money, what they do is they create dummy companies. Now, these are called shell companies, right? A shell company, I understand from Gerardo, who told me that in Spanish, these are called ghost companies. Because that's all that it is. It's a company that doesn't exist, except on paper. It's a pretend company. So over time, the church, and by the way, one of the things that's important about this, this isn't just the EPA. This isn't just the general manager of the EPA doing this. He is meeting on a regular basis, at least once a year, with the first presidency. And the first presidency is notified of this. They know what's going on with these dummy shell companies. And the first presidency approved their creation because it was very important to the first presidency, once again, to hide the amount of money that they were making. So in order to hide it, okay, normally what would happen is this. Enzyme Peak would simply be filing its 13 Fs. That's the technical name for these quarterly documents that they're supposed to file with the federal government. If everything's going normal, they just file these on a quarterly basis. Everything's fine. They're complying with the law. They're not going to get into the trouble they just got into. But the problem from the church's point of view is that these quarterly 13F statements that are filed are public record. So anybody would be able to access them and see how much money that the church has in the United States stock market. Now, once again, this is not everything that's in EPA. The church still hasn't caught to how much they have in the EPA, although Best estimates are approximately $157 billion at this point is the value, the total value of the EPA. This is a lesser part of the EPA, which is invested in the U.S. stock market. And that's why we have the different numbers. Both numbers exist. Both numbers are real. But it's just the U.S. stock market investments that were leaked. We'll get to that here in a second at $32 billion. So if they had done this, everything would have been fine. But everybody would have known. How much, church, how much money the church had. So over time, as they make more and more money, what they do is they create more and more shell companies. And these shell companies are not companies. They're designed. There's only one reason for their existence. And that is to mislead the government, the SEC, and everybody in the world as to how much money the church actually has. That's the sole reason for them. And in order to do all of this, we'll get into the paperwork that they filed in order to deceive the SEC and the world, and I think most importantly, the members, about how much money the church had. And when you get down to the details, as reflected in the order that was issued by the SEC last week, it's remarkable to me what they did and how they continued to violate the law knowingly just because they don't want people to know how much money they had. Now, this tells me that this is the prime directive for them. I mean, one of the main directives has got to be making the money, right? But it is a hugely important issue for the first presidency that people not know how much money they had. So they go through all these machinations and take all these risks. And by risks, I mean violating the law and misinforming the federal government, the ones who are supposed to be supervising them, 
so that they can't know how much money they have and nobody else can know. That's the main takeaway that I have from this. It was very, very important for the first presidency to hide how much money they had. And I will say right now, I think that one of the main reasons is because, now here you're getting speculation a bit, right? But one of the main reasons is because what Roger Clark said when he was confronted by a reporter a few years back about this leak. And what he had said was that the reason they were keeping the amount of money they had secret was because there was concern that if members knew how much money the church had, they might stop paying their tithing. Yeah. So the way I put this is that I think the reason that they they hid this so much is because, oh, I had it written down in a text I sent to you. Let me see if I can recall it. It was because the church doesn't want the members that they're hitting up for tithing to know that the church doesn't need the tithing that they're hitting the members up for. And remember, members every, you know, once a month, once every two months are going to clean the shitter to clean out the, the, you know, get all the tools out of the custodial closet, run the vacuum, clean the Cheerios off the pews. Um, meanwhile, this thing has enough money that it doesn't need them to do that. Like you're giving your 10% of gross that you shouldn't be giving in the first place because the way tithing was taught in the beginning seems like it's something along the lines of surplus or interest. They changed the definition of tithing. So now they take this much larger chunk of your own of your own money. They put it in the stock market illegally, as we'll get into. Um, and uh, and they keep begging the members for their money. It's not about, you know, not about church. It's about you keeping your covenants and you having your blessings. And then and then every uh, so often when it's your turn again, you and your family go on a Saturday instead of doing something together. Uh, cause you, cause you don't have enough to do in the church. Right. And so you're doing this together and now you're in there cleaning the bathrooms and taking out the trash and wiping everything down. This thing sucks your blood out your entire life. When we see all this stuff, now we realize that the church treats its members like rented mules. Yeah. And by that, I mean, they beat them mercilessly. They are just yeah. rented mules. All they are there for is to drain every last drop of energy and work out of them that you possibly can until they drop dead in their traces. Yeah. So it's also during this time period. Now we can look back and see with a new light, all these statements about, you know, you need to pay your tithing before you feed your kids. We've got that from General Conference. We've got uh, statements in Africa that you need to pay tithing because only by paying tithing will you be able to lift your country out of poverty. And all the while this is going on, there's this dirty little secret that the first presidency and the presiding bishopric are hiding from the federal government and the entire world and the members that they have got more money than Midas. They are rich as Croesus. Yeah. And they are still telling people to let their kids go hungry if it means making the choice between that and paying a tithing to this church that doesn't need it. So that so that in whatever stake of members in Africa that were being spoken to, so that another $83 in US money could be collected, right? Like whatever they're paying, it ain't it isn't much in comparison to US tithe payers, for instance. It's it's measly. 
and and yet here they are trying to drain those folks who are trying to worry about whether they can get fed the next day. They're trying to drain them of every last penny they can get out of that out of that country. It's a bad look. Yeah. And so then on, <laughs> yeah, totally. And now we've got some other great quotes that you have found, which tend to make what's going on sound even worse. I mean, those quotes about tithing, don't feed your kids, pay tithing. The one in Africa, pay tithing, lift the nation out of uh, poverty. Those are bad enough. They've always been bad enough. Ever since they were uttered, they've been bad enough. But now they are astronomically worse. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look good. It's not a good look for sure. Um, and then you got the church's response. So as a believing member, you remember what this is like. Whatever issues were going on in the world, the church gets the final say as when you're a believer. And so the church puts out this statement. And on any level, if you're curious as a believing Mormon, you you get the church telling you what happened and you know your church is honest. So you trust your church's answer. And they essentially say here... Um, a settled, they have a settled manner with a uh, matter with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, investment managers who oversee the portfolio of public equities above a certain threshold are required to file required to file forms 13F with the SEC quarterly. These forms publicly disclose the names and securities and their values. Since 2000, Enzyme Peak received and relied upon legal counsel regarding how to comply with its reporting obligations while attempting to maintain the privacy of the portfolio. Mm. Yeah. The privacy and just to of know, the portfolio. We'll see this in the document we're going to go into, but there is church, there's a there's general authorities on the board of Enzyme Peak. The church doesn't have any facet of its operation without a general authority serving in the leadership of that facet. Um, and you'll find that that's no different with the Enzyme Peak uh investment uh Enzyme Peak advisors. The other thing, too, is that we ought to note is that Henry B. Eyring, remember, he is a, uh, has his business MBA from Harvard. This is his specialty. This is, this is why you have this guy in the first presidency is to be able to share his two cents about his business uh, experience and what he knows. So it's, it really becomes difficult for me as I read the rest of this and sense how distant the church wants its leadership to be from the decisions that are being made. Can I just say the first presidency was in this up to their eyeballs, and that's why the SEC fined the church a million dollars, in addition to the uh, the EPA four million dollars, because the church, the first presidency, were leading this. The voting had to be unanimous between the first presidency and the presiding bishop for any of these things to happen. Yeah. And they knew what they were doing, and they chose to do it anyway. By the right. way, you mentioned about Henry Eyring and his MBA and his being a professor of business at Stanford. I think there's another person in the first presidency who, if I recall correctly, used to be a lawyer and even used to sit on the Utah Supreme Court. So yeah. don't tell me these guys don't know what they're doing because they're being advised every step of the way. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Okay, let's hide it. Yeah. Um, so let's, and by the way, I still can't quite make sense of hiding money for a church upon which I only get a measly stipend. It, I, I really struggle, right? Your prophet seers and revelators for the Lord's true church. You have to, if you really take that calling seriously, you'd have to weigh what Jesus thinks about all of this and what he would consider to be ethics. And as we go through the quotes that I pulled out and added to this outline tonight, 
we will see that they give lip service to Jesus being very concerned about financial honesty and financial fraud. But in their meetings over two and a half decades, four first presidencies, they seem to really not care about ethics at all in terms of what Jesus would think about all of this. Yeah, um, there's a definite disconnect going on. I think I've said it before is that the human mind has an almost limitless capacity to rationalize bad behavior. And I think we're seeing some of that here. Yeah. Since 2000, Enzyme Peak were uh, received and relied upon legal counsel regarding how to comply with its reporting obligations while trying to, while attempting to maintain privacy of the portfolio. As a result, Enzyme Peak established separate companies. And, and this is a big deal. Like they're making it sound here as if like we created some other companies, we gave them some money, they invested it. Mm -mm. Right. The full truth is Enzyme Peak, with the direct sanction and knowledge of the first presidency, created different companies. These are the the shell companies, the bogus companies, the fake companies, in order to defraud the federal government and keep a secret from everybody how much money the church had. That's the part they're not saying. Right. So they established separate companies, LLCs, that each filed Forms 13F instead of a single aggregated filing. Enzyme Peak and the church believe that all securities required to be reported were included in the filings by the separate companies. In June 2019... Oh, by the way, by the way... Yeah. They were. See, this is this is the masterfulness of this. If you want to look at a document that says things that are true, but says it in such a way as to make it look like the first presidency didn't do anything wrong, when actually their hands are covered in blood. Well, they have they have they don't have clean hands. They have unclean yeah. hands. I was gonna say covered in blood. That's too dramatic. But this is an, a perfect example of equivocation of lying by omission and of spinning this the best way they can, even though the first presidency has been up to their eyeballs in this for 20 years. And they've known about this all along the way. Yeah. In June, 2019, the SEC first expressed concern about Enzyme Peak's reporting approach. By the way, that's also misleading. Internally, they had concerns before that, and we'll see that in the report that we go over. Enzyme Peak adjusted its approach and began filing a single aggregated report since that time. And by the way, that's only because of the whistleblowers, right? Right, exactly. And when it says an aggregated report up to this point, Enzyme Peak is not filing these 13F reports. Because it's taking all of the securities that are held by Enzyme Peak and pretending that they are held by and managed by these different dummy corporations, these LLCs that they have created. These LLCs don't even exist except on paper. They are not man managing anything. This is a total farce. And it's, it's a fraud is what it is. I'm not necessarily yeah. saying that legally, but I'm just saying that in order to communicate what's going on, they're taking everything. And by the time that they have all of these companies created, they're taking all the assets held by the EPA and they are pretending they're held by these 13 different companies. And the 13 different companies, well, they are filing their own individual 13 Fs with the federal government as if these 13 companies hold all these stocks, which are actually held and managed by the EPA. So when it says that in 2019, uh, the SEC first expressed concern about Enzyme Peak's reporting approach. Well, the reporting approach is committing fraud. That's what they mean when they say the reporting approach. They're violating the law 
to deceive the U.S. government. That's the reporting approach that the SEC first expressed concern about when they started figuring this out. Enzyme Peak adjusted its approach and began filing a single aggregated report. This is what they should have been doing all along. What that means is Enzyme Peak just saying, we've got all these stocks. They're, this is their fair market value. It's a whole lot of money, but here it is. So we'll just file our uh, 13Fs on a quarterly basis. We'll be up front. We'll say, this is what we have. We're doing good. It's getting better. Fine. Everything's good. But no, they didn't do that until they were caught. They didn't do that until they were caught by the SEC. And that's what that paragraph actually says. If you know what really happened and you're able to read between those lines. And it seems as though they sort of knew on the front end that when they got caught, the fine would be so small, it would have been worth it all along to have broken the rules, right? Like they, the, the fine here, which I think someone pointed out to me in an email this morning is the largest fine they've ever seen for this particular breaking of the law. And in, in, ski, in the scheme of things compared to what they actually have set aside, it is peanuts. It is right. Nothing. It is peanuts. It's, it's very yeah. little. And I think that, um, if I can just use this analogy here, I once represented this uh, young man who was charged with shoplifting from a local Safeway. We worked a deal out with the prosecutor. He didn't want a $5,000 fine from this kid. Fortunately, he didn't want jail time. What he wanted for was for this kid to get a placard that says, I stole from this store and wear it and march back and forth in front of the Safeway for however many days it was in order to work this off. So what the prosecutor was doing there is similar to what the SEC is doing here, obviously a much smaller version. But number one, they know that if they find this kid $5,000, that money's not coming out of that kid's pocket. It's coming out of his parents' pockets. His parents didn't do anything wrong. So let's lay off on the fine, okay, and do something to this kid that embarrasses him publicly and makes him take accountability for what it was he did. It's $5 million, $4 million from the EPA, $1 million from the church. They recognize that this is all the members' money that they have been donating as tithing, which they believe is commanded of God. So that's one of the reasons why I feel this is a relatively small amount because they realize it's not coming out of President Nelson's pocket. It's not coming out of President Oak's pocket. It's coming, it's sort of revictimizing the victims in a sense. So the main point of this was, I think, to issue this very detailed order in order to publicly humiliate, humiliate's too strong a word, embarrass the church by letting everybody and their dog who's interested know exactly what it was they were up to. Right. And, but, but again, believers are left with the uh, official statement from the church not really knowing what's going to be in these documents that we're going to go over tonight. The settlement relates to how uh, the forms were filed previously. Enzyme Peak in the church cooperated with the government over a period of time as we sought resolution. We affirm our commitment to comply with the law, <clears throat> which what commitment? You you weren't doing that all along. Like It's not like you uh, said, well, we'll try again. Uh, you've been doing for two and a half decades not complying with the law. That's kind of a lie, though, that, that one clause, isn't it? We affirm our commitment to comply with the law. Well, they didn't have a commitment to a, comply with the law beforehand, so how do they affirm it now? Yeah. In other words, we'll lie to you again that we're committed to complying with the law. That's really what that's saying to me. 
They regret mistakes made. Remember, the church never really apologizes. That's part of the new theology since leaders, including Elder Oaks, have said such things. So regret mistakes made is about as close as you get to an apology, but it doesn't really exactly fit the bill, and you can you can kind of sense it. Bill? Yeah. All they regret is getting caught. Yeah. I mean, losing I've been in criminal law for 33 years for crying out loud. Some people actually regret things, but most of them regret it when they get caught. And that's ex exactly what this is. If they regretted it before they got caught, then they wouldn't have done it. And this last piece here, uh, and now consider this matter closed. This to me is insider language. This is signaling to the membership that, that we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to answer any more questions. We're not going to stand before you and explain what we did. You're not allowed to ask us. And we don't want to hear any more about it. Your job now is to be quiet and go forward and keep serving in the church the way you were prior to knowing this. Yeah, that's not happening here. That's no. not happening here. And the, the strange thing about it, it's just mind-blowing because I know that the church, the first presidency, has certainly been involved in this for several years. As through their lawyers, they're negotiating with the SEC to come up with this resolution. And being involved in, I'm sure, many depositions and the entire investigation that was ongoing for these years by the SEC. So they're aware of all this, but now they've reached the res They're not talking about it. Nobody knows about this. There are hints, there are innuendos, but the church is not saying we're being investigated by the SEC. So finally you get to last week and from their point of view, we've gone through years of this. We finally come up with this resolution. We can live with it. This is the first time anybody else in the world is finding out about it. This is the first time the members are finding out about it. The widow and Parowan, they're finding out about it for the very first time. And the very first time they hear about it, the church is saying, okay, this is what happened, or this is our version of what happened. And by the way, this matter's closed. Yeah. I did Maven. just want to say, yeah, uh, this was in um, the email sent to us. I know you guys weren't sure if you're going to go uh, talk about it, but there was someone who is, has some background knowledge of the SEC. Um, and they had said that, uh, for the SEC, the $5 million is actually one of the highest fines they have ever seen. And so I know a lot of people are saying that it, I mean, and it is ultimately a slap on the wrist for the church. It's definitely extremely affordable, but I think it might not be accurate. And again, um, I guess this is something that we can't, I, we weren't able to vet. So I'll just say that out loud, but um, it does seem like it may not be as much, I, I guess the, the narrative is that, they've gone easy on the church and that might not be true. So this might actually still be, uh, you know, for the SEC anyway, quite a punishment. And also they said, I think they said that the amount of detail that they put into this order is also extremely unusual. So it seems that they've put in extra effort to also very clearly spell out the misbehavior in a, a way that they don't typically do. So I did want Perfect. to bring that up. Thank you. Yes. In this order, which I know we'll be getting to eventually, uh, once again, we're just hitting the highlights of the order when we get to it. In this order, the SEC absolutely publicly waxed the church's PP. Yeah. And so we'll jump into that now. And I've got quotes here throughout. I'll, I don't necessarily want to read each of them, but we can at least read a little bit of it. From This is uh, Joseph B. Worthlin. Uh, from time to time, we hear stories of greed and selfishness that strikes us with great sorrow. We hear of fraud, defaulting on loan commitments, financial deceptions and bankruptcies. Financial uh, deceptions, huh? They yeah. hear about those. 
Um, you know, no man is fit to be called a man who gathers around himself cars, boats, and other possessions while neglecting the sacred financial obligations he has in it with his own wife and children. We are people of integrity. We believe in honoring our debts. We believe in being honest in our dealings with our fellow men. So Joseph B. Worthlin there. Um, folks, you're going to want to either make the screen large uh, or uh, I'll do this too. Let me grab uh, this the URL link for the documentation and folks can um, end up, let's see here, put it in the comments. So it is there. And so folks, if you want to open that up, you can read along with this, but I'm going to make mine full screen maven. So from here on out, I won't be able to change anything on the screen unless I have to, unless it's kind of an emergency. So um, first one on the left, page one, Nothing really sticks out here. They're just laying out kind of the basics of the case that it's in the matter of Enzyme Peak Advisors and the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. So they're the respondents. And this is the Securities and Exchange Commission. On the right-hand side, you have page two. Uh, the things that I've got underlined here, this ran from this, the illegal behavior that they did ran from 1997 through 2019 but as you pointed out, RFM, it doesn't become public knowledge that anybody could do anything with the information, because I think that's important. Couldn't do anything with the information until 2023, just now, uh, recently. Right. Is it okay if I just go through the summary really quick? I think Please. we've given enough detail that this summary will make sense. It's one of those things where if you know the, um, the story, the summary is easier to understand, at least for me. From 1997 through 2019, so that ends up being, wow, that seems like 22 years. 22. Enzyme Peak Advisors, an entity which manages the assets, including the investment securities of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, failed to file with the commission, that's the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, failed to file with the commission certain required forms that would have disclosed the size of the church's equity portfolio to the commission and the public. Instead, the church and Enzyme Peak created 13 limited liability corporations. These are the dummy corporations, including 12 similar LLCs, which they call clone LLCs, with addresses located throughout the U.S. For the... They, they didn't even exist. There are no addresses. There's no real companies there. But the reason that they put them throughout the U.S., located them throughout the U.S., was to try and make it so that people couldn't tie it to the church. With addresses located throughout the U.S., for the sole purpose, the sole purpose, this is the only reason they created these dummy companies, for the sole purpose of filing Forms 13F, those are the quarterly filings, and preventing public disclosure by Enzyme Peak of the church's equity securities holdings. The Forms 13F that Enzyme Peak filed in the names of these LLCs, remember, they're not actually filing them themselves. These companies don't exist. Enzyme Peak is the one who created these LLCs and now is filing the 13Fs on behalf of these dummy corporations, all of it being hidden from the government until last week or at least until we knew about it last week. I know they found out about it as they were investigating it. The Forms 13F that Enzyme Peak filed in the names of these LLCs misstated, among other things, that they had sole investment and voting discretion over the listed securities. 
when Enzyme Peak at all times retained discretion over all investment decisions. This is going to be another thing about how it was that they violated the law with these 13F filings. One of the things about the 13F filings is not just to show what it is that the company is managing as far as stocks and their fair market value, but also to vouch, to sign under penalty of perjury by the guy, the business manager at the head of each of these investment companies, that it really is an investment company, that the business manager is running things, that he's making the decisions, that there's nobody above him who's making the decision that we don't know about, right? So they are actually signing off on all of these companies saying that the company, the dummy companies that don't exist, have sole decision-making authority as to how the funds are being invested, when actually, of course, it's all being decided by EPA. So that was a lie. It's a lie times 13 times every quarter of every year that this was going on. That's a lot of lies. Okay, Enzyme Peak. This is the second paragraph of the summary. There's only two paragraphs in it, but it's packed with information. Enzyme Peak developed its approach to filing Forms 13F in the names of these LLCs with the knowledge and approval of the church. They didn't do it on their own. It's not rogue investment agents doing this without the knowledge of the church. It's not rogue lawyers doing it without the knowledge or direction of the church. No. This whole scheme, this fraudulent scheme, was done with the knowledge and approval of the church. That's directly from the SEC order. Which, that's the church, which sought to avoid disclosure of the amount and nature of its assets. And I just want to note here, RFM, it's the church that says, hey, everybody, let's slow down for a minute and talk. Our worry is that we don't want this number to be known out loud. It's not Enzyme Peak Advisors that's saying, hey, you guys might want to consider hiding these amounts. They're just going to do their job, take the money, invest, file the right forms. They're not coming up with wanting to break the rules. It's the church leadership that proposes that maybe we ought to see if we can find a loophole to keep the total amount of money out of the eyes of everybody around us. How can we come up with a way to keep this money a secret? And then some lawyers who may or may not be working there much longer uh, come up with this creative idea, which is this whole plan, which is against the law in which the members of the first presidency, at least President Eyring's got to know it. Elder Oaks has got to know it. President Nelson probably knows it. And they say, go for it. That's how important it is for us to keep the amount secret. Then concluding... With the summary on page two, through their institutionalized use of this approach for almost 20 years, because they didn't do it for the entire period that Enzyme Peak has been in existence. It's only after they started making money hand over fist and they came up with this idea of uh, creating these dummy corporations. Through their institutionalized use of this approach for almost 20 years, Enzyme Peak's significant role in the securities market as an institutional investment manager was not disclosed to the commission, the markets, and the investing public as required by Section 13F of the Exchange Act and Rule 13F1 thereunder. You see, this isn't just some kind of crazy idea that they came up with in Congress in 1934 to pass this legislation. 
This is so that there's going to be transparency and you can't have this kind of thing happening where somebody is actually controlling a large segment of the stock market. I mean, $32 billion really is a lot of money. <laughs> so you're controlling a large segment of it, but the market doesn't know who you are, who's controlling this. The public doesn't know who you are that's controlling this. You're hiding, you're hiding behind a facade of 13 dummy companies. And that's all the public knows. And that's all the SEC knows until the leak and until this investigation resulting in this order. Yeah. And, you know, we keep mentioning the current first presidency. They certainly signed off on it plenty of times themselves. But this goes all the way back. This would have gotten its start under Gordon B. Hinckley uh, and his first presidency, uh, mm -hmm. which would have been James E. Faust and uh, Thomas S. Monson. Yeah, I think, is it three first presidencies? I think you said four earlier. I said Isn't four it? only because um, when Faust dies, Elder Irene comes in. And so you add another person to the first presidency and technically it would be a new first presidency. Okay, three presidents, President Hinckley, Monson, mm -hmm. and Nelson. Right. But I see what you mean. Okay. But the counselors changed out one extra time for uh, either Hinckley or, or Monson. Okay. Okay. So then we get to the next section here. And it, again, it's just trying to establish who's, who is, who are these companies? Who is the church? So there's no disagreement about whether it's some other break off or whatever. They're just laying out kind of the legal jargon. But in number two, I think this is a big deal. Enzyme Peak is governed by a board of trustees consisting of members of the church's members, plural, of the church's presiding bishopric and the managing director of Enzyme Peak. Enzyme Peak's managing director is appointed by the church's first presidency and reports to senior leadership of the church. These are church men. Um, when you make arguments that Enzyme Peak is doing things like, like, you know, we're the church and we're just taking advice from Enzyme Peak and they misled us and we never would have done this if we would have known. That's nonsense. There are church general authorities on the board of Enzyme Peak uh, at least in Elder Eyring's case, he's a master's of business and MBA. Um, there's no way the church can uh, slide off its own accountability here and pretend like it was just naive and ignorant and just following the good advice of others. It is part of the board of the others that informed it. You don't get fined a million dollars if you're not involved. Yeah. So also under uh, paragraph one there, very important for reading the rest of this order. As referenced in this order, senior leadership of the church, every time they use that expression, senior leadership of the church in this order, consists of the church's first presidency and presiding bishopric. So every time they use the expression, which they've already done down there in paragraph two, senior leadership of the church, that's what it means. The first presidency and presiding bishopric. Yeah. Brad Wilcox, maybe what we should be asking is why didn't the church hide more money? <laughs> well, who says they're not? Because guess what? The church still hasn't copped to how much they have in the rest of Enzyme Peak. Yeah. This one to me, there's three Joseph Worthland quotes. There's an Elder Oaks quote and a Gordon B. Hinckley quote. The Hinckley quote and the Oaks quote to me are most important because these two men would have been part of this whole thing. So Elder Oaks says the white collar cousin of stealing is fraud, which gets its gain by lying about an essential fact in a transaction. Scheming promoters with glib tongues. He's talking about himself here. Scheming mm. promoters with glib tongues 
in ingratiating manners deceive their neighbors into investments the promoters know to be speculative than they dare to reveal. Difficulties of proof make fraud a hard crime to enforce, got enforced here, but the inadequacies of the laws of man provide no license for transgression under the laws of God. In other words, he's teaching that Jesus would not be okay with the very thing they chose to be okay with. Can I just say something to Elder Oaks right now? And I trust that the members of the Strengthening Church Members Committee who are monitoring the show will pass along the message. Elder Oaks, you are a hypocrite. Yeah. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. And you should step down from your position effective immediately, as well as President Nelson and President Eyring. Yeah. Please pass that along for me, will you? Yeah. He continues, but the inadequacies of the laws of man provide no license for transgression under the laws of God. Though their method of thievery may be immune from correction in this life, sophisticated thieves in white shirts and ties, sophisticated thieves in white shirts and ties will ultimately be seen and punished for what they are. No, at the end of the day, I already see in, in the believing side of things that that's not going to happen at all. Unfortunately, Uh, will ultimately be seen and punished for what they are. He who presides over that eternal tribunal knows our secret acts. And he is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. By the way, this tells me he doesn't really believe what he says. This makes it really difficult for me to believe that Elder Oaks actually believes in God, actually believes he's a mouthpiece for God, actually believes that Jesus is leading the church, and actually believes the words that he says, because none of that makes sense in light of uh, running this entire scheme that they got caught for. You're ahead of me on that, because that thought just flashed in front of my mind as well. Does he really believe what he's saying? Does he really believe that he will be held accountable before that eternal tribunal for what it is that he has done in secret. Of course, it was secret when he was saying this. Now, not so secret, but still, there's an eternal tribunal that awaits. At least so he says, but it is hard to believe he really believes it. Otherwise, I think he'd be shaking in his blue little shorties. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this here, and I don't know how to articulate this. We know the church has nepotism. We know that just about every leader in the top 15 sometime in the, the future has some of their offspring that are also called into significant leadership positions of the church. And it seems like everybody gets one or two of them. Um, I'm just going to note this. It seems really strange to me to go through all of this orchestrated scheme to deceive the government and to deceive, to deceive members if there is no personal gain at all from increasing the money in the church. In other words, to see this kind of fraud, you would anticipate seeing the people at the head of it benefiting financially by having the fraud take place. If you don't benefit at all, you got plenty of money and your salary of a, of a meager stipend of a hundred and whatever, $50,000, which again is a lot, but in the scheme of things isn't, it seems strange to bend the rules and break the rules and create shell companies and and be dishonest about what direction the administrative side of that relationship works and saying it's one thing, but really it works the other way. To put these places in foreign places, I'm going to say it here, and I, there's no way, Mormonism does a very good job of keeping you from being able to hold it accountable, but I'm going to say it here, I think we ought to follow the money, and my my brain tells me that there are ways in which we're not aware of that not to the degree of making you know billions of dollars 
but that they these top 15 financially benefited by carrying this act out. And I can't make sense of it without that. And so I'm not going to make any allegation, but I'm going to say that it would be interesting if somebody had the ability to follow the money and to see what's going on, because I think there's more to this than than what we see on the surface. I hear what you're saying. It's certainly possible. We don't know that that's the case. In fact, the evidence that we do have would indicate differently. I've thought about this, and I think it is possible and even likely that leaders of the church who are obviously greedy may not be greedy for themselves so much as they are greedy for God. Yeah, but I I don't see I don't see a guy here who believes in his own words about God. So I, again, it, every time I see these men act, it seems from their own personal unhealthiness and their own inability to own uh, reality around them the way it is. I, I don't know. I just I just noted it. You seem to note it. There were a couple of people in the comments too who seem to have been thinking along the same lines. I'm not saying there's something going on. I'm saying it'd be interesting to follow all the receipts yeah, and to see where it all goes. Because you and I both know the stipend they get isn't the end-all be-all of the amount of money they take in right. or the perks and benefits that they get. Certainly. I think that what we're seeing is a playing out of what Paul wrote in the New Testament, that the love of money is the root of all evil. We know that in our society, money equals power. And as Lord Acton observed a long time ago, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is the time when all these sayings that we've heard in our lifetime actually become real. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we see how true these statements are. And unfortunately, we're seeing it in the top leadership, the senior leadership, the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So here we are on page three on the left, page three, um, these uh, reserves were purchased with excess tithing. Again, I just want to tie in City Creek and all these instances where the church says tithing funds isn't used. The reality is it's interest off the tithing funds that is often used for these projects. And so in a non-direct way, it still is connected to the tithing, although they're always saying it's not. Um, Enzyme Peak does not charge for church management fees. What that means is that Enzyme Peak isn't a procured subcontractor of the church. Enzyme Peak is the church. It's part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormonism, the LDS church isn't paying Enzyme Peak to manage its funds. It created Enzyme Peak itself to manage its funds. Right. Yep. The number four firms, uh, forms 13F filed with the commission are available to the public for review. So they're just acknowledging that it's public information. Hence, if they filed it the way they were, should have, we all would have known how much money the church has, uh, at least in this particular 38 or $32 billion. Oop, let me go back one. Um, number five, at its inception, Enzyme Peak managed approximately $7 billion of church assets. So when it first gets started, there's already an extra amount of $7 billion laying around that gets put into Enzyme Peak to get this thing off the ground and running. Uh, it then says the uh, – go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, it's an excellent question that somebody asked me just recently, and I don't have the answer to is where the heck did $7 billion come from that the church yeah. had laying around in 1997 to start this? Well, it's a good question. I don't know the answer. It's not addressed here, but 
The fact is they did. And by the way, historically speaking, back in 1997, do you remember back that far? Do you remember that Gordon B. Hinckley and the whole faith in every footstep and the commemoration, the sesquicentennial, I think it was, of the uh, arrival of the Mormons in the Salt Lake Valley uh, in 1997? All that stuff was going on, if you could remember back that far, at the same time this Ensign Peak is being created out of $7 billion. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the portion of Section 13F securities in the portfolio grew to approximately 37.8. That's where the 38 billion number comes from, billion by 2020. Throughout its history, Enzyme Peak was required to file Forms 13F. It was always required to file Forms 13F. Which it uh, never no did until it got caught. It's filing yes. dummy 13Fs for dummy corporations. And And... You know, I think everybody understands what dummy corporation means, but this this report lays it out pretty clearly that you walk away grasping cleanly to what degree these dummy corporations were created. Number seven, by at least 1998, senior management at Enzyme Peak was aware of Enzyme Peak's requirement to file the 13F forms and communicated this requirement to senior leadership of the church. Boom. Now that's really important because that's the year after it's created, and later on it will say at least once a year, the general manager of the EPA met with the members of the First Presidency and I'm sure with the um, presiding bishopric as well. So what they're saying here is that they're tying the church in, the senior leadership, the First Presidency, President Hinckley at the time. They knew, Enzyme Peak knew they had to file 13F quarterly statements with the SEC and they communicated this requirement to the senior leadership of the church, which once again is the first presidency and the presiding bishopric. They knew that Ensign Peak had this requirement under the law. Number eight, to prevent disclosure. Oh, can I read this one? Oh, please. I'm Paul. I, Paul, I got a hard copy here, and there are certain yeah, ones yes. that I, I really marked really good, and Love I put it. a big boom. Please do this that. Boom yes. there. This is a boom paragraph. So if you want to know the important paragraphs to go to, Eight is really a boom paragraph. To prevent disclosure of the securities portfolio managed by Enzyme Peak, the church, the church, every time it says the church, I pay special attention. The church approved Enzyme Peak's plan of using other entities instead of Enzyme Peak to file forms 13F. Once again, those are the dummy corporations. The church approved of this. The first presidency approved of it. The presiding bishopric approved of it. The church going on. The church was concerned that who, wait, 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 who, who was concerned? President Hinckley. So the church was concerned. Again, yes. where does where does the concept that we need to do this originate? And it's answered right in this statement here. Right. And it's very important to keep in mind that they are using, they say Enzyme Peak when they mean Enzyme Peak, and they say the church when they mean the church. Yeah. They're two different things. Yes. And they use different terms accordingly. Yes. All right. So the church was concerned that disclosure of the assets in the name of Enzyme Peak, a known church affiliate, would lead to negative consequences in light of the size of the church's portfolio. So for whatever reason, the church sees negative consequences that would ensue if people knew how much money the church had in the stock market. Obviously they did. Otherwise they wouldn't have gone to such steps to 
hide it. They've got to be worried about something negative. And I think I know what that is. It's what Roger Clark said, was that if members knew how much money they had, they might not pay tithing. Enzyme Peak did not have the authority to implement this approach, okay? Enzyme Peak. Enzyme Peak did not have the authority to implement this approach without the approval of the church's first presidency, period, end of paragraph eight. Boom. They couldn't do this on their own. It had to be approved by the first presidency, and they used that language there, the church's first presidency. The first presidency knew about the requirement. They knew about this plan, this scheme, and they approved that these dummy corporations be created and that these fraudulent 13F filings be made on a quarterly basis. Yeah. In the pages to the right, this is the church handbook of instruction on church discipline. And I just want to note, uh, under help protect others, sometimes a person poses a physical or spiritual threat, predatory behaviors, and we might go, that's sexual predatory behaviors. But no, if you look over at the right, under 32.6.1.3, fraudulent acts, they also consider financial predatory behavior to also be a predatory behavior. Predatory behaviors, physical harm, sexual abuse, substance abuse, fraud, and apostasy are some of the ways in which this can occur with inspiration, a bishop or stake president. Again, remember, these guys are above the rules. There's no way there is any uh, process in the church by which a local bishop or stake president where these top three men live. There's no way those men can call these top three from the first presidency in and hold them accountable. That's not how the system works. At the very top, you are exempt. My understanding is you get a life a lifelong temple recommend when you enter the top 15. You Ooh, don't a dream ever come true. You don't ever have to get it renewed again. Why would you not need to get it renewed? Because you don't want that person sitting down with a bishop or stake president who might be progressive, such as a bishop real, right? Or a president Phillips. And you and to sit down and have a conversation with these men holding them accountable. They have made the system so it doesn't work that way. Number or the next section, 32.2.3, protect the integrity of the church. The third purpose, so the first purpose of uh, church discipline is to help protect others. The members were taken advantage of and the general public was taken advantage of by this scheme. These men have done fraud to a certain extent and predatory behavior, financial predatory behavior for sure. So on some level, these men should sit down with a, with a high authority or a, a local authority in the church and be accountable for that. The third purpose of church discipline is to protect the integrity of the church, the church's good name. The last sentence there, the integrity of the church is not protected by concealing or minimizing serious sins, but by addressing them. Notice that's the they're taking the very opposite route in the official statement by LDS Newsroom. Um, next section, violations of trust, serious sin while holding a prominent church position. These include general authorities um, reporting to government authorities. Bishops and stake presidents encourage members to follow the law and to report such matters when required. You report 13F because it's required. The church's policy is to obey the law. They're breaking all the sections of the handbook regarded to finances, trust, 
uh, and predatory behavior, and no one's going to hold these guys accountable. Fraudulent acts. A membership council is required if an adult has a history, and I would think two and a half decades close to would get, it would be that. Otherwise, I don't know what would make it fall into that, uh, that inclusion. Um, a membership council is required if an adult has a history of deliberately and repeatedly harming people financially and is a threat to others. This includes investment fraud in similar activities. A membership council is required. If the church is true and it literally believes the words that comes out of its mouth, if it literally believes its own handbook, the first presidency has to receive a disciplinary council from its from the local stake presidents of those leaders. And the church should be made aware of that. And we should all know that such is taking place so as to create accountability. I think that if the church were true, all three members of the first presidency should resign their positions effective immediately. And failing that, if the church is true, all the membership should vote opposed to sustaining the first presidency in their positions. But again, they don't believe the church either because it's a whole completely different system for the people at the top. If litigation is involved, priesthood leaders may decide to wait until the outcome is final. So here we are, the outcome's final. Final. Now is the time. Uh, Fraudulent acts. Uh, The Ten Commandments teach thou shalt not steal or bear false witness. A membership council may be necessary for acts such as robbery, burglary, theft, embezzlement, perjury, and fraud. If the sin was repetitive, sure as hell in this case, it was repetitive. The first presidency directed Ensign Peak to commit fraud over and over and over again. And they willingly agreed because it was their, it was their concern that the disclosure of these assets in the name of Ensign Peak would lead to negative consequences in light of the sizes, the size of the church's portfolio. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Next up, Joseph E. Worthing again, having received the spirit of Christ and no good from evil, we should always choose the good. We need not be misled, even though fraud, deception, deceit, duplicity often seem to be acceptable in our world. Lying, stealing, and cheating are commonplace. Integrity, a firm adherence to the highest moral and ethical standards, is essential to the life of a true Latter-day Saint. Thank you, Joseph Worthland, for saying that the first presidency, Presidents Nelson, Iring, and Oaks are not true Latter-day Saints. And have no integrity. Yep. All right. Now we got page four and page five. On page four, uh, senior leadership of the church approved the creation of the first LLC to file forms 13F. Remember, Members that's the first presidency. Idea. Yep. Members have this idea, RFM, that the apostles meet every Thursday in the Salt Lake Temple and Jesus comes in the room and they're working out the doctrines of the kingdom. They're working out the spiritual things. In reality, we ought to understand, as shown by Mormon leaks, and the videos they leaked years ago, that mostly what these meetings are is they're trying to get ahead of uh, issues in society, trying to figure out their own angles to take advantage and manipulate them. And this would have been no different. These meetings would have been held where they planned out this, because let me say it this way, to carry out the scheme we're going into tonight, this would have taken a lot of strategy. This would have taken a lot of planning. This would have taken, uh, this would have been years of 
adjusting and changing things and constantly revisiting. This couldn't be done in a six hour meeting. This couldn't be done in a two weeks. This couldn't be done in six months. This is a, the breadth and scope of this uh, scheme that they put out there would have been masterful in terms of all the moving parts that would have been thought out, all the permutations that they would have thought through to try to see if they could get this done and find and use this, what they thought saw as sort of a loophole, but knowing that there was risk, they would get caught and not have it be okay. And it took a lot of deception. Yeah. Until that doggone whistleblower connected the dots, reported them to the SEC, the investigation started, and then the house of cards started to tumble. But up to that point, they had the federal government completely flummoxed. Yeah. They had no idea anything was going on. They bought into the idea that these 13 shell companies were real companies. They just didn't know. Yeah. No sacrament for a week for you. No soup for you. Um, number 10, the first LLC was assigned a location of Glendale, California, although it conducted no business at that site. Again, by dummy corporation, by shell corporation, uh, a piece of property is purchased. Mail and telephone calls go there. But uh, you got people never, in the building doing a job. Yep. But the money, while the while we while the story, and you'll see it in the reports, while the story is that the money gets transferred to them to do the investing, that's not real. The money right. stays with Enzyme Peak. Right. And and then uh you say like, oh, there's leadership there and they're answering phone calls and they're opening. No, it's an empty property. Uh, Enzyme Peak failed to transfer investment discretion to the LLC. It's just an empty company used just to have an address and a name. Right. Remember, and what Enzyme Peak is doing is they've got all these investment managers, you know, in Enzyme Peak. It's a huge company, a huge investment company. Uh, they got all these investment managers. So what they would do is they would go and they would pick different investment managers, different employees of Enzyme Peak to pose as the business managers for these dummy corporations that they have distributed throughout the United States. Yeah. Number 11, on March 15th, 2005. Oh, can I church... read this one? Oh, please. Yeah. This is another one. This is another boom one. Love it. <laughs> on March 15th, 2005, the church became aware. They've already, they've, this is early days. They've created one LLC, right? That they're trying to do this with because they're not as big as they are now. They're going to have to create more and more in order to keep uh, parceling out or pretending to parcel out the different investments they have because they keep getting bigger and bigger. This is the first one. So on March 15, 2005, the church became aware that the public might link this first LLC to the church because the person signing the forms, 13F, i.e. the titular, business manager was listed in a public directory as a church employee. So they go to DEFCON 1 and they realize, wait a second, this first LLC that we've created to start doing this back in 2005, the person that we put as the business manager, which is a matter of public record, he's a church employee and somebody could maybe see that and then they could connect this first dummy LLC to the church, that's what they want to avoid at all costs. So that's why this is a problem for the church and they realize it, but they have a plan. They have a cunning plan to address this issue on March 21st, 2005. So that's like uh, 
Oh, that's six days later. They got right on top of this one. <laughs> six days later, on March 21st, 2005, the senior leadership of the church. Who is that, Bill? That is the first presidency and the presiding bishopric. Yeah, let's just stick with the first presidency because it's always the first presidency. Nobody cares about the presiding bishopric. We all care about the first presidency, don't we, as TBMs. The senior leadership of the church, the first presidency, approved a new reporting entity to be created. This is a new dummy company. But create another new one with, quote, better care being taken to ensure that neither the street, that's people, that's you and me, people on the street, that neither the street nor the media could connect the new entity to Enzyme Peak, period. And by the quote, way, they're quoting from something. Yes, Bill. Yes, I was going to say just that. By the fact that they're quoting from something, they're they're telling you, they're tipping their hat, this report is, that that quote comes from inside the church. Yeah, it comes from something, whether it's a memo, an email, a deposition. We can't tell it's not sourced, but it is quoted. That six days after they realized that this first new dummy LLC has a business manager who is listed as an employee of the church, even that is too much information for the public to know because they might figure it out. Therefore, they have a meeting at which the first presidency, the senior leadership, approved a new reporting entity to be created with better care being taken to ensure, in other words, make sure that the people who are listed as the business managers, they don't show up on social media or anywhere else as a church employee. Yeah. Okay. Number. That's paragraph 11. That's my second boom paragraph. Yeah. And keep doing that, by the way. Any of these you want, take them. I'm just trying. I don't want to be here till 10. So I'm trying to. No, you're doing great. Help us get through. So number okay. 13. Enzyme, this is later in 2011, Enzyme Peak became concerned that its portfolio had become so large that the form uh, that the form 13F filings it made using the name of the second LLC might attract unwanted attention and sought the church's approval to form an uh, to form additional LLCs to file forms 13F. It says then uh, they created the second LLC to start doing that. 14. After oh, wait obtaining a second. Wait. I'm sorry. The church's senior leadership, once again, the first presidency, approved Enzyme Peak's recommendation to clone the second LLC to create new Form 13F filers. So once yeah. again, the first presidency is approving the creation of new dummy companies in order to more distribute the amount of money that Enzyme Peak is making. Yeah. Number 14, after obtaining church approval... Enzyme Peak formed new clone LLCs for the purpose of filing Forms 13F. Five new entities were formed and given Delaware addresses, although none conducted business in Delaware. In other words, you purchase a property in Delaware. You, you have a mailbox. You have a telephone that has voicemail. There might be some uh, one in person that sits there and kind of makes sure that you know mail gets uh, forwarded on and telephone calls get handled. Uh, but you'll even see in the telephone call situation that that was minimal. Um, but it's just an empty building. All the business is conducted out of Utah with Enzyme Peak Advisors. Number 15. In 2015, Enzyme Peak... Oh, this Peak is another boom one. Please. Can you do 15 and 16? By please. the way, so you've got this first LLC, which they 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 say, uh-oh, uh, the business manager is a church employee. We've got to create another one. So there's one and there's two, right? The second LLC. 
And the second LLC is the one they clone and make five new ones. In other words, five new LLCs that are just as dummy as that first one, which is actually the second one. So you got two, then you got five. So now you're up to seven. Eventually, we'll get six more, which is where the total number of 13 comes from, if you care to keep track. Paragraph 15. In 2015, Enzyme Peak became aware that a third party appeared to have connected the holdings of various LLCs back to Enzyme Peak. In other words, DRAT. This is exactly what we've been working so hard to avoid. But somebody, somebody out there connected the dots. Yeah. Enzyme Peak brought this issue to the attention of the church. The church. Yeah. They brought this to the attention of the church. Somebody is putting the uh, putting the dots together. They're figuring out that actually Enzyme Peak owns all these. That's bad. The senior leadership of the church, i.e. the first presidency, the first presidency approved Enzyme Peak's recommendation to another quote. Ready? So their response to this is not to stop what they're doing to say, hey, this is something maybe we shouldn't be involved in. We shouldn't have started it, but this is what we were worried about, and we need to start obeying the law and minding our P's and Q's, right? No, that's no. not what they do. Instead, <laughs> they decide to double down. So the senior leadership, the first presidency of the church, approved Ensign Peak's recommendation to, here's the quote, gradually and carefully adapt Ensign Peak's corporate structure to strengthen the portfolio's confidentiality. It's not to gradually and carefully adapt Enzyme Peak's corporate structure to comply with the law. It's to do that in order to strengthen the portfolio's confidentiality. So their response to somebody in 2015 putting these pieces together, their response is to go further underground and take steps gradually and carefully to make it even more secret and harder to connect those dots in the future. That's why I think that's a boom paragraph. I also think that paragraph 16, the next one, is a boom paragraph. If I can read that one too. Thank you. On November 6, 2015, same year, the senior leadership of the church, the first presidency, approved Enzyme Peak's plan for the creation of additional clone LLCs to further prevent disclosure of the church's holdings managed by Enzyme Peak. Enzyme Peak formed six additional clone LLCs, bringing the total to 12. So 12 clones plus the one that they're cloned after is the 13. So that's their idea of making it harder to figure it out is we'll create more dummy LLCs in order to hide this better. That's what the church did. That's what the first presidency approved in 2015. Gene, good one. Gene Judson says, send in the clones. Well, these are the clones we were looking for, but they're certainly not the clones the church wanted anybody else to know about. Right, right. All right, so now we are in uh, number 17. Let me just get rid of what I've got there. Yes, this okay, is under so the heading. They're under different uh, sections, structure and management of the clone LLCs. Yeah. Enzyme Peak had authority over all the LLCs. Again, in the real world, if this kind of thing happens, what, what the church is pretending they're doing is they create this LLC. It's a separate company. It's got its own 
board of directors. It's got its own managers. It's, it's doing its own business. The church then through Ensign Peak takes some of its investment money, gives it over to the LLC and says, manage our money for you, uh, ma- ma- manage our money for us. And that LLC should have its own voting uh, within its own company. It should have its own administration. And what this report says over and over again is the church never gives the money. It, in idea, it does, but actual money transfer, it doesn't. It's 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 sort of like money laundering, but not exactly, but sort of that kind of process where you're creating these other entities that you can funnel money through. Except in the church's instance, they're never sending sending one cent on. Um, and the way in which the LLC should work, if it's it's if it is real and being used appropriately is very different from what the report continues to tell us about these LLCs as we get into it. Enzyme Peak had authority over all the LLCs throughout their existence. The church also had indirect authority over all of these LLCs since the church controlled Enzyme Peak and approved the approach of using the LLCs to file forms 13F. Yeah, the church approved Enzyme Peak's approach of using and, the dummy companies to file Enzyme these Peak, forms. And Enzyme Peak is the church. Like you can't really separate them. In other words, the church is the one who created Enzyme Peak. It's not a separate financial management firm. It's a facet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right, which is why they couldn't do a lot of things without unanimous Mm-mm. approval by the senior church leadership. Plus, you'd want someone else to risk their ass, not just you. Yeah, this is one of the problems that the church is figuring out is that when you have a secret that's so tightly held that only seven people on earth know about it, when the crap hits the fan, it's hard to find a lot of different people to point the fingers at. Yeah. Yep. Number 18, the clone LLCs also entered into IMAs, that is investment management agreements with Enzyme. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, these these are just the the agreements that are supposed to give supposed to give that discretion to the business manager to invest the funds that the business manager has control of, and that was four air quotes in one sentence. Yeah, the clone LLCs also entered into IMAs investment management agreements with Enzyme Peak, whereby Enzyme Peak was designated as the clone LLC's client. Therefore, IMAs assigned discretion and authority to manage the security portfolios to the LLCs. It actually works the other way around. They're just carrying out the the bidding of uh, Enzyme Peak. It's not working in the direction it's supposed to. Right, and they're not really carrying out anything. Yeah. Uh, These IMAs assign discretion and authority to manage the security portfolios of the LLCs. The managing director of Enzyme Peak signed each IMA on behalf of Enzyme Peak In his capacity as general manager of the clone LLCs, he also signed the IMAs on behalf of each relevant clone. That seems unethical. He's essentially representing both parties, doesn't he? Yes. And I'll tell you, I don't know enough about uh, high finance to get all the meaning that I'm sure is packed into that sentence. That's why I wanted to go with uh, paragraph 19, which I think is another boom paragraph that I think I do get. I will say that eight paragraph 18 reminded me of Quentin Cook and the hospital fiasco. Yes, it did. Representing yeah. both parties on yeah. a opposite sides of a transaction. Yes. Yeah. Number 19, 
Despite the provisions in the IM, IMAs stating that the clone LLCs would have management authority, the clone LLCs never exercised investment discretion over the church's assets. Never. It's big. It's all being it's done big. by EPA. Although Enzyme Peak designated several of its own investment managers, guys working for them in the same building, I imagine. Enzyme Peak designated its own investment managers to serve as investment managers for each clone LLC. These investment managers continued to manage the Section 13F securities on behalf of Enzyme Peak. So once again, this is fraud upon fraud. I mean, it does take quite a bit of fraud to pull this off. And there's a lot of lying that has to go on and deception that has to go on. And this is one of it. Enzyme Peak. Uh, takes its own investment managers, says, okay, we're going to pretend that you're investment managers for these these dummy corporations, but you're still going to be working for us and managing our uh, investments. Now, the next part of that is this. They, these investment managers, once again, air quotes, they did not know which assets were allocated to the clone LLCs and performed no functions for the LLCs outside of their existing responsibilities for Enzyme Peak. So the Enzyme, excuse me, the investment managers for these dummy corporations aren't doing any work for the dummy corporations. They're just doing their work for Enzyme Peak, which is who they work for. Doesn't it seem, you, you, I find it hard to believe they went out and found experienced people qualified for these positions. I have to imagine these are young kids right out of college and essentially, you're taking people and going, look, you're not going to do anything you think you're going to do. You're just going to sign a few papers and you're going to pretend you work here, show up every day at Salt Lake, uh, you know, the office building. Um, but you're going to pretend to work in Delaware. You're going to sign a few papers every year, but you really don't do anything for this thing, even though you're the business manager of an LLC in another state that you don't even get all the information on and you don't have any assets to work with. I'm not sure if youth or age was the determining factor in selecting these people to engage in this deception. I think that the most important thing was finding people who would do whatever it was they were told to do, regardless of how unethical it was, because they believed that they were serving a greater good. Yeah. And as I found out over the last 24 hours, there's plenty of those people to find. Yes. Yes, there are. Especially in the, the LDS never ending supply. This is like the Mountain Meadows Massacre all over again, just on a smaller scale. Yeah, it's a never-ending supply of a loyalty and obedience. Mm -hmm. Okay, I skipped down to 21. If there's something in between there, say so. I, I want to note at the top of 21, each clone LLC was set up with a business manager. Very important. Um, every LLC, every one of these has... You got to have a business manager, right? The guy who is supposedly at the top, who is in charge, who's making the decisions... Etc. Okay, go ahead. And then the bottom sentence of 21, however, the business managers performed no function for the clone LLCs outside of signing the form 13F signature pages each quarter. But even that's even more complicated by the additional information we'll get. Can I go to pay, uh, paragraph 22, another boom? Yep. Enzyme Peak was responsible for designating the clone LLCs business managers, many of whom were church employees. Big surprise. And if they're church employees, I've got a feeling they're Mormons. I just got and this their, their job depended on the job depending on them paying tithing. 
Their job depending on them being active. Their job depended on uh, holding a current temple recommend. Um, these are church broke people. Yes, and this is setting out exactly what we said before, that Enzyme Peak is pulling all the strings. They're the ones who are selecting who's going to be the business managers for these LLCs, these dummy companies. Of course, they're going to pick them. This is how you perpetuate the fraud. Now, it goes on to say business managers were selected because they had common names, okay? Common names and a limited presence on social media. Once again, the whole point of this is to keep people from figuring out how much money the church has. Because if you've got a common name as a business manager, it's less likely to be identified as somebody who works for the church. And if you have a limited presence on social media, it's harder to figure out that you're a member of the church. So this shows how much thought and planning went into this entire scheme. So the business managers were selected because they had common names and a limited presence on social media and were therefore less likely to be publicly connected to Enzyme Peak or the church. Enzyme Peak provided the business managers very limited information about the clone LLCs or why they were created. So these business managers, they're just going to do what they're told, which is going to involve signing under penalty of perjury documents every quarter that are that they know are not true, that they know are not correct, that they know they're committing a crime called perjury with the federal government. And Can then you finally, the people that got hired. So first of all, think about the yeah. interview process. You're sitting down, you got a hundred potential people. Some of them are qualified to actually run an LLC as a business manager, right? But that's not what you're going for. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for guys that have the name of John Doe and Jane Smith and, you know, Jerry Jones and uh, Matt Johnson. So you bring these people in who have just common names and they don't have, they have very little social media presence. And that's all you're looking for. Because I know, Bill, it's somebody... like if you're coming in for an interview, I got three questions for you as your potential employer at Enzyme Peak. Number one, do you have a common name? Number yep. two, do you have a Facebook page? And number no. three, will you kill for us? Yes. And if you get all those questions right, boom, you're hired. Yeah, got a job. And all you got to do, <laughs> do is sit in one location, pretend to work in another, and sign a paper every year. Right. And that's where you get to 23. Each, if I can, each clone LLC, there's 13 of them by this point, by the way, each clone LLC was given an address outside of Utah, although none of them conducted any business at those locations other than the receipt of mail. Because you got to get mail there. Because remember, you're fooling the federal government into thinking you actually have a business there. So you got to have somebody there to pick up the mail at the post office box and figure and respond appropriately uh, in in an in an appropriately deceptive manner. I should say. It goes on. Enzyme Peak chose multiple locations across the country for these purported offices to create the impression that the clone LLCs conducted business operations throughout the U.S., Y-class, everybody all together, making it more difficult to trace the clone LLCs back to Enzyme Peak or the church. Hmm. It's like they thought of everything. Yes, Except the did. part about following the law. Yeah. 
Joseph B. Worthlin again. Integrity means always doing what is right and good, regardless of the immediate consequences. It means being righteous from the very depth of our soul, not only in our actions, but more importantly, in our thoughts and in our hearts. A little lying, a little cheating, or a little taking, or, or sorry, or taking a little unfair advantage are not acceptable to the Lord. The consummate reward of integrity is the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. Now, hold on a minute. Let's doctrinally follow what Joseph B. Worthlin is saying here. If the First Presidency has compromised their integrity and carried out a fraud and deception over 22 years, it seems by Joseph Worthlin's own words, they would not have the companionship of the Holy Ghost, which sort of hurts the whole premise upon which the First Presidency would be uh, operating. I think that's an excellent point. What I'm seeing here is why it is that uh, Joseph Worthland never got promoted to the first presidency. Yeah. And by the way, I sort of, I know folks who are related to Joseph Worthland, and they are adamant that he was one of the good guys in a group of scoundrels, Um, that he really did have uh, the propensity to want to do the right thing. Um, but it seems as though if I was a member of the true and living church upon the earth, with which the Lord is well pleased, I would want my prophets, seers, and revelators at, in the first presidency to have the companionship of the Holy Ghost. If they don't, it seems natural for me to assume that these three would not be able to be in contact with Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great doctrinal point. I will tell you that Joseph Worthlin, having passed, uh, he's a little bit more off the hook as far as I'm concerned than the rest of the 12. Because the rest of the 12 now, even though not aware of this, apparently at the time it was going on, are fully aware of it now. And if they continue to serve, let's put it this way, if the first presidency does not step down, which I think is probably not going to happen, if the first presidency does not step down, then every member of the Quorum of the 12 who does not resign is culpable, I believe. Yes, totally. Um, Not legally. I'm not saying legally. I'm saying morally. If they don't have the courage of their convictions to do the right thing and will continue to support the first presidency and talk about President Nelson as their beloved freaking prophet, okay? If they're still going to do all that lick spittle stuff and be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, then whatever respect I had for them up to this point is gone. And that includes you, Elder Uchtdorf. All right. So um, I think if we really, again, if we are going to take the church at its word and believe its theology and doctrine, we are really in a, a quagmire at this point. It would be not just reasonable. It's it's the only way to arrive at all of these concepts is to go the first presidency doesn't communicate with the Holy Ghost since the companionship of Christ as the second comforter is an even greater blessing. It is super safe to assume that they're not communicating with Jesus either. So you have essentially since Gordon B. Hinckley an admitted de facto first presidency that is void of being in connection with the Holy Ghost and being able to communicate through revelation with Jesus Christ. If you were Jesus, would you have anything to do with these guys? Not at all. All right, next page, 24. Each clone LLC was also assigned a local phone number that would go directly to voicemail 
an Enzyme Peak senior manager. Wait, it goes directly to voicemail. Why does it go directly to voicemail? Because there's, there's nobody, nobody there to answer the phone. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No. Go ahead. Thank you. An Enzyme Peak senior manager instructed a business manager of one of the clone LLCs to notify him of all voicemails from regulatory agencies to any of the clone LLCs, but to delete all others. In other words, doesn't matter what other phone call comes into that LLC, only the regulatory federal uh, government agencies that are reaching out to the LLC have their voicemail passed on. All of the rest of them are deleted. Right. I mean, presumably you've got people who are aware of the existence of these LLCs, believe that they actually are what they represent themselves to be, look like they're doing pretty good in the stock market, and they're calling up to see if maybe you'll manage some of my money. Sorry, you don't get to call, talk to anybody. It goes to voicemail, and then it gets deleted. Because that's not the point of this LLC, no. is to get business. The point of it is to deceive people. So the only ones, the only messages that get passed on to senior management at the EPA are the ones from the federal regulatory uh, government. What does it say here? Regulatory agencies, right? Well, yeah, we got to know about that because we have to know what they're asking of the dummy corporations so that we can continue to deceive them. <laughs> yeah. This is starting to look like the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, this all right, is so bad. Tony, I haven't seen that movie. Is that good? It's got uh, Leo. I think it's really good. Leo this, DiCaprio. A group of, yeah, a group of nobodies create uh, essentially a dummy company, fill up a warehouse, and then call a bunch of wealthy people to secure investments and um, it's all a scam. It's it's none of it's real and it's all pretend and eventually it comes crashing down. Mm. Number 27, each form 13F, I was gonna say, if you is this one you were getting ready to, if you wanna- Kind of, your but I really wanna do 28, so I'll let you do 27. Okay. Each form 13F filled in the name of the clone LLC misstated. Now again, you don't get to assume they did it intentionally because they don't have that information, but misstated that the LLC had sole investment discretion for the securities listed, that there were no other managers for these securities, and that the clone LLC had sole voting discretion over these securities. Even though the investment management agreement stated that Enzyme Peak had delegated investment discretion, uh, Enzyme Peak had delegated investment discretion. Enzyme Peak continued to manage the entire portfolio at all times, maintained investment and voting discretion over all sec the securities listed in Forms 13F. In other words, you set up the LLCs. You, in in reality, if you're doing it in a ethical way, you set up the LLCs. They're their own company. They have their own. Uh, decision-making power, you give them your investment income and they decide based on your recommendations maybe, but they decide how to specifically invest your money and what to do with it. Um, but in reality, Enzyme Peak kept all the power while on documents, while on the documentation for the businesses, indicating that it was the LLCs that actually had the discretionary decision-making and that wasn't true. Right. Because having independent discretion on investments and how they're done is what makes a business an independent business. Yeah. Okay. 28. Yay. Thank you. Each form 13 F was signed by the designated business manager, i.e. the person who worked for the EPA. 
who had a common name and not much presence on social media. So each form 13F, remember the quarterly filings, was signed by the designated business manager. The signature page stated, so this is what's on the signature page for each of these. The institutional investment manager filing this report and the person by whom it is signed hereby represent that all information contained herein is true, correct, and complete. It's a very common thing. This is boilerplate on all of these. Of course, you're signing and, and certifying as the business manager that all the information you're filing with the federal government is true, correct, and complete. However, there's a however here in paragraph 28. However, Enzyme Peak provided the business managers with insufficient information about the clone LLCs or the securities assigned to them that would enable, that would enable the business managers to make this representation. So each of these dummy business managers for the dummy companies don't even have the information. Of course they don't because it's a dummy company, but they're laying it out step by step. They don't have the information to make these representations, but they're signing off on them anyway. These are real people who are signing off on real government documents under a real penalty of perjury. That stuff is true. When They got no idea. They're just signing off on it because they're told to. It goes on, when Enzyme Peak obtained the business manager's signatures for the Forms 13F, Enzyme Peak gave the business managers only, pay attention now, only the signature pages of the Forms 13F and not the complete documents. So each of these Forms 13F, which is going to set forth all the, the securities that you have that you're managing, the fair market value, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to sign off on it saying this is all true and complete. These business managers never even saw all the pages that went before the final page with the signature is required. They're just given the final page and then they just sign off on that. And why would they care? They're getting paid 40 or 50 or $60,000 a year to simply manage an empty warehouse that's in another state that they only get to sign one form a year and a paycheck still shows up. Well, it is a little bit more involved than that, I think, because what these guys are doing, they're actually investment managers for the EPA. They are full-time investment managers. This is just something that where they have been tapped and agreed to because of their common name and lack of media presence to pretend that they're business managers, which only means that they sign off on these dummy forms every three months. That's all they're doing. They're not actually performing any functions. They're just working for the EPA. And this is something that they get to do on top of that. Something that hasn't been said yet. There is, there's a certain immorality to doing something unhealthy, illegal, unethical yourself. There's an added measure when you start to pull other people into your scheme and you, by whatever means you need to, you manipulate them into also sacrificing their integrity and ethics in order to carry out the scheme. In this particular scheme that the church had, it needed numerous people to do things that would have seemed out of place, that didn't seem right, didn't follow the standard protocols, and the church intentionally looked for people and then mandated as part of their job that they compromise themselves to do things the way the church is doing them, and the way the church is doing them is illegal and unethical. Hey, Bill, I got a stack of documents that I need to file with the government, but I don't want to file it. I want you to file it, and I need you to sign this last signature page, but I'm not going to show you any of the other pages. I you can't see sign the rest that? of it. I'm Are you going to sign the that? Yeah, um, no. Well, no. obviously, you have too great a media presence. 
And my name's too recognized. <laughs> Next. Next. By the way, I have no idea what went on in those discussions and whether any other kind of pressure was put on these people. All we know is that they eventually agreed that they would do this and they did it quite frequently. And from what we can yeah. tell, I don't know about their their misgivings they may have had. I don't know. I don't really care. All I know is that they did it. I want to simply say that the church as part of its uh uh as part of the um as part of the job description for these positions, the church imposed that it needed to be done a certain way. And the way that it needed to be done was unethical and was not following the rules and regulations that needed to be followed. And once again, I want to underscore this point. The church went to an awful lot of effort yeah. to hide how much money it had. Yeah. And it, and it really didn't need to. It didn't need to. Well, um, apparently it thought it did. And yeah. The reason it thought it did is because they were worried that people wouldn't continue to pay tithing if they knew how much money the church had. It's coming out how much money the church has. Members are stopping paying tithing as much as they did. So perhaps it was a concern that was justified. Yeah. Uh, number 29, each form 13F also misstated that the business manager. Did we already do this one? Nope. No, I did 28. That was okay. mine. Sorry, it sounded similar. Each form 13F also misstated that the business manager signed the form 13F from the address listed on the signature page. Delaware. In fact, all business managers were located in Salt Lake City. So they're signing the paper as if they're in Delaware, as if they're in uh, California. But in reality, they're sitting in Salt Lake City at the church office building and signing away or Enzyme Peak, wherever that's located. Yeah. And if I can explain what I think this is, what this is, is this is the penalty of perjury language at the signature form. And in order for a declaration is what we would call it here. But in order for that to be legally effective, it has to have the date that it's signed and the place where it's signed. So in, uh, in other words, here it'd be uh, I blank uh, declare under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington that the foregoing is true and correct and complete apparently in this case signed on this date at this place, which includes city and state. So you have to have the city and the state there in order for it to be legally effective. They're writing down the city and state where the uh, dummy corporation was supposed to be established, but actually they are not signing it there. They're signing it in Salt Lake City, which is where this is all going on. So that part was also knowingly fraudulent. And because there's 12 of the 13 of the 13 of these, mm -hmm. that means there's 13 business managers. I find it hard to believe not one of those 13 felt somewhere inside them that what they were doing didn't quite seem kosher. That well, would right, be a stretch. But, but when you are being directed by God, you know, certain niceties like that have to go by the wayside. Yeah. For some people. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to skip down to 31. Um, essentially, this is the statement that throughout its history, at least once a year, Enzyme Peaks managing director met with senior leadership of the church to discuss Enzyme Peaks activities. The last sentence there, unanimous approval from the senior, the senior leadership of the church was required before Enzyme Peak could deviate from the LLC structure and file forms 13F and Enzyme Peak's own name. The church, every step of the way, gives its approval for every single move. Right, and you actually omitted one of the clauses in that that was very important, I thought, Please. which is throughout its history, at least once each year, at least once each year, 
Enzyme Peaks Managing Director met with the senior leadership of the church, that's the First Presidency, and the presiding bishop, Brick, to discuss Enzyme Peaks activities, including, at times, the LLC structure. So they're making it clear that there were times when they discussed specifically this LLC structure and then the rest of what you uh, read about unanimous uh, voting needed to occur in order for Enzyme Peak to deviate from the LLC structure and file forms 13F in Enzyme Peak's own name, which is what they should have been doing from the very beginning. Can I read 32? I love 32. Please. 32 and I think it's 35 are some of my favorites. 32, okay, because the church has internal audits. It's a huge corporation. You need periodic internal audits to make sure you're doing everything right and everybody's doing their job and nobody's like, you know, siphoning off. There's all sorts of reasons that internal audits are performed. So they have an internal audit in 2014 that goes over not only everything else in uh, Enzyme Peak, but specifically does go over the LLC structure. And they have another internal audit three years later in 2017. And the internal audit tells the Enzyme Peak folks, you know, the way you're doing this LLC structure with these dummy companies, I'm not so sure the SEC would agree with your method of using these dummy companies. Let me read this. This, this is in here because it's not like anybody didn't know. Their own internal audits were telling them this is a hot button issue. And you should probably rethink this. So I here is note, the. Um, I just want to note, by the way, there's 838 people in our show. That's that's a high, and so it sounds as though there's a lot of people who don't normally turn in, tune into our show yeah. who are watching presently, interested in what's going on. I hope, folks, that you're enjoying what you're seeing. I hope you notice that Mormonism Live is thorough in its research and in its in its attempt to try to understand these issues. If you go to your church, you're going to get things like the official statement. And I'm simply noting that as you're watching this show, I have to imagine you're sensing that what the church is telling you doesn't hold up and that you are sensing just like we do, that this scheme uh, is egregious in terms of uh, making decisions that appear to be unethical uh, and to seem to be very uh, abusive of the system in which they're trying to, to create this scheme within. Um, folks, we do a live show every Wednesday, 6.20 p.m., and this is the kind of stuff we do every week. We hope that you'll hit the subscribe button, uh, and we hope that you'll share this with your uh, with folks around you that you think would be interested in this episode, and we hope that we've earned your trust and that we'll see you more often on Mormonism Live. So please. Well said, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, 800, this is an all-time high. I feel like this is an old James Bond movie. Yeah. So I want to read paragraph 32 now. The church, this is about the audits, both of them. There's two. The church and Enzyme Peak, both of them, continued to take the same approach to filing forms 13F through the clone LLCs, the dummy companies, despite two church audit department internal audits of Enzyme Peak, one in 2014 and one in 2017, that reviewed the LLC structure. In discussions with Enzyme Peak senior management, although the church audit department did not recommend specific changes to the LLC structure, the church audit department highlighted the risk 
that the Securities and Exchange Commission might disagree with the approach. Hmm. They were warned what could potentially come about, and the first presidency continued anyway. Yes, not once, but twice by their own people, as if they didn't already know this before the audits. But these are just all the big warning signs that they uh, are being put into this report in order to rightfully deprive the church and Enzyme Peak of any fig leaf to cover this deceptive behavior. Yeah. And then finally, the LLC structure was made public by the whistleblower. You've got that starting with paragraph 33? Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find something important in 33? Oh, my gosh. Well, I Please. think 33, 34, and 35, I just love. Why don't you okay. do 33? I'll do 34, and you can do 35. Got it. In May of 2018, so we're getting closer now. In May of 2018, remember, this is before the church finally started doing it the right way after they were caught. In May 2018, a public website reported that the various entities that appeared to have ties to the church had filed Forms 13F revealing holdings of approximately $32 billion. Remember that back in May of 2018 when that was the headline? Yeah. $32 billion. And at the time, I was thinking this is everything. It's still a huge number. But no, it's only just in the U.S. stock market. They had lots and lots, more than $100 billion in other investments. Okay, but it goes on. The website, the one that figured this out, the website referenced evidence indicating that these entities' domain names were all registered to an entity tasked with overseeing and protecting the intellectual property of the church. I think that's how this person figured it out. And that each of the LLCs identified listed a business manager whose name matched that of a church employee. So much for your common names for your business manager, business managers and your low social media profiles. This person figured out that all the business managers were church employees, not just church members, but church employees. And that's when things started to unravel. And now for number 34 for you. Yep. After the website reported this information, two of the business managers resigned. So it's coming to a head. Two of the business managers go, you know what? I can see the writing on the wall. My integrity is at least a little better than yours. I'm going to resign and get out of here. Yeah. These I'm, are the guys who have been signing off on all the dummy 13 Fs for who knows how long, but now yeah. that it becomes public, maybe it's time to jump off the Titanic before it hits the iceberg. Two business managers resigned their roles, voicing concerns about what they had been asked to do. Again, what they'd been asked to do was not what the forms required and not the way that these entities work in terms of legality. Rather than changing the LLC structure, two new business managers with common names who didn't have much of a presence on social media were assigned to replace the two who resigned. Right. Now, that's another critical part. You've got two, audit, two, two audiences, two audits in 2014 and 17 saying, danger, danger, Will Robinson. They continue to plow ahead. And now, after May 2018, when somebody figures out, hey, all these people are church employees. This is being done incorrectly, improperly, unethically. Two of the business managers, two of these 13 business managers, they say... They resigned their roles. And I'm not sure if that's just as business managers or completely out of EPA, but they resigned. They say, hey, we don't want anything more to do with this. And now, once again, 
the church and Enzyme Peak, instead of saying, okay, I think this is a warning shot across the bow. I think we should start doing things right and legally. No. Once again, they double down for more and they appoint two new business managers to take the positions of the other business managers who had just resigned. So they continue in spite of all the red lights that they're seeing. These guys are running red lights all the way down the highway. And they're not going to stop until, apparently, until they're forced to stop. So now we get to number 35, paragraph 35 on page 7. I love this one too. Enzyme Peak continued to file Forms 13F. They continued to file Forms 13F through the clone LLCs until February 14th. 2020, which is almost two more years and would be, I would think, around seven more forms for each of the 13 dummy companies. So they continue to do this until Valentine's Day 2020 when Enzyme Peak filed a consolidated, finally, Enzyme Peak now does what it should have been doing all along and filing one report that accounts for all of its uh, investments with the SEC. So finally, Valentine's Day 2020, just as COVID is breaking out all over the world, Enzyme Peak now does what it should have done all along and files a consolidated Form 13F for the quarter ended December 31st, 2019, the prior quarter. So... Uh, and at that point, of- I'll just say, and at that point, at that point, the securities had increased in value from 32 billion, if that estimate was correct. But we know that as of the end of the year of 2019, Enzyme Peak filed a consolidated Form 13F, which listed its value of its securities as approximately $37.8 billion. So we've also been told that they have a hundred billion in the stock market. And is there any way to help? Do you understand where the other 70 or the other $65 billion is at, or maybe more? This is all, I think all this is guesswork because once again, the church is always playing hide the ball with everything they're doing. All we can say for certain, I believe is that this amount represents how much the church through EPA has invested in the United States stock market. There are obviously other stock markets around the world where I'm sure the church has investments, but those are not monitored by the United States SEC. They're monitored by other uh, agencies, I would presume, in these other countries. And God only knows what the church has been doing over there to hide its assets. I don't know. But I expect that this could prompt additional investigations in other countries. I was just going to say that I would suggest that any person watching or listening to us go over this, if you have any ability to for, due to whoever you are or who you know, if you have any ability to do any sort of looking in on this, again, the assumption would be they would also like to conceal their investments everywhere else, which leads to the high possibility i think that they are playing the same sorts of games across national lines you think so what's good for the goose is good for the gander by the way you don't have anything marked under violations 
Mm-mm. Can I read this? Because 36 Please. is important, but 37 is the most important from my point Please. of view. 36 says, these are the violations that they're finding. As a result of the conduct described above, Enzyme Peak violated Section 13F1 of the Exchange Act and Rule 13F1 thereunder by failing to file Forms 13F in Enzyme Peak's name. Enzyme Peak also violated uh, Section 13F1 of the Exchange Act and Rule 13F through 1 thereunder by filing misstated Forms 13F in the names of LLCs created for the sole purpose of filing Forms 13F. So there's two violations. First off, Enzyme Peak violated violated this by not filing these forms under Enzyme Peak's name. And number two, Enzyme Peak violated it by filing returns under these falsified returns under these dummy corporations. And when I say returns, I mean these 13F filings. So those are the two violations, but 37 is the PS de resistance. As a result of the conduct described above, the church caused Enzyme Peak's violations of Section 13F1 of the Exchange Act and Rule 13F31 thereunder. So in other words, it's not just Enzyme Peak who's acting badly. Section paragraph 37 says that the church violated these provisions as well, which of course has to be stated, not only because it's the correct understanding of the findings of fact pursuant to this order, but also as a basis for fining the church a million dollars in addition to the $4 million from the SEC. Maven, you're on, and I think it's to give us good news about the presence of a special and unexpected guest. Yes, um, I was able to reach out to somebody, um, mainly to correct what I said earlier, but I think they have a bit more to share besides also doing that. Um, But yeah, we have Mark Pugsley in the studio. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on and I will drop off. Um, I think Mark is ready. Can you give me a thumbs up, Mark? Okay, we are good. All right. Well, this is great to have. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mark Pugsley here. It's Wednesday, so what better day to have Pugsley on? <laughs> you got that. I'm glad you got that. John DeLynn didn't get that at all when I told that to him earlier. I've lived with that name my whole life, so I yeah. definitely uh, got. I definitely get it. So, what have we gotten wrong, Mark? Well, I I have a couple things for you. I think Maven got my number somehow. I don't know how she got it, <laughs> but she she texted my uh, cell and said, "Hey, can you correct something that she was concerned about?" And uh, hey, Jess, can you get the dog? Um, the the one of the things is, I guess she said something at the, at the beginning, and I wasn't watching. I apologize, guys, but that that the fines of five million dollars was was large, and and that is not true. Uh, five million dollar fine is 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 minuscule in SEC standards. If people, you know, I watch these every day, uh, new ones come out, and uh, they're you know, we just had some. Uh, we just had one come out against all the large brokerage firms. Sorry, my, my dog wants to play with me. So that's what you hear in the background. But, uh, uh, the, the, uh, I mean, Morgan Stanley just got fined $500 million for letting its employees use text messaging. So that'll give you some idea of kind of what these big brokerage firms will get fined for, for violations. Um, this is a really small fine, and I think there's a number of reasons for it. Um, one of them is that, you know, it's Mitt Romney and Mike Lee and all of the very powerful folks in Washington 
who have some leverage over the SEC would not be super thrilled if their church got fined some massive, you know, $5 billion fine. That's just not going to fly. You know, the SEC, just like every other agency, has to deal with politics. And so I think it's a very it's very unusual, though, that a church gets any fine by the SEC. That's hugely unusual. So that's a big deal, I think. The other thing I was just going to say is that that, you know, what you guys just went through in really fantastic detail is the punishment. That's my personal view, is that the bad press that the church is getting from this really brutal and unusual order that you guys just went through line by line, that's that's unprecedented. You don't often see uh, uh, these settlements that detailed. Um, and so that I think is, is part of it is because they just laid it out. They just laid out all the details, which is in all the SEC cases that I have settled before, um, that was that this highly unusual. The other point that I've made, I think, with John Dillon the other day is that this is a negotiated document. The lawyers from the SEC had a view of that document. If you look at the beginning, it shows that they consented to that document and they knew what was in it uh, when they signed the settlement and, and agreed that those facts were accurate, including the fact the critical fact at the beginning that this money is is came from excess tithing. That's a critical thing that they keep saying, oh, you know, Enzyme Peak isn't tithing money. Well, of course it is. It is absolutely tithing money. And they have now admitted publicly in a document that that's the case. But I, you guys, I have a, a and I can answer some more questions, but I have a scoop for you. I, I don't know if you're down for that, but uh, I'm totally down for, for a scoop, Mark. OK. All right. So this is kind of cool. Uh, you guys know that these 13 F's are are, are public information, right? You can read these 13 Fs, they're out there, okay? Right. The other thing that we know, because uh, the 90-page uh, report that David Nelson and his lawyers just filed with the Senate Finance Committee was released through a website called uh, Religion Unplugged, and I have read that document. In that document, uh, and anyone can find it out there, you can just Google it. Um, in that document are the names of the 12 fake LLCs that you guys were just talking about, right? So some enterprising person that sent me an email, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, uh, sent me an email today. They did a little research. And what they did is they looked at all those 13 Fs that had been filed year after year in those fake entities, right? And looked at who signed them. Who signed them? What are the? Wouldn't it be great to know the names of the actual church employees, the flunkies who got tasked with uh, signing these under penalty of perjury without knowing what the hell was in them. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of cool? Well, guess what? We know who they are. And I don't, I'm not going to tell you all their names. Someone can, if they feel like it, can do a little research, but I do know the two names and this is public information. I'm not doxing these people. I'm not telling you anything that's not in the public record. The two names of the people that resigned in protest in 2018 were Troy Nielsen and Cole Lundquist. Those are two folks. And I can even tell you who replaced them. They were replaced. Troy Nielsen was traced, replaced by a guy named Brett Yadon, Y-A-D-O-N, which, by the way, is not a very common name, which is kind of funny. Uh, and Cole Lundquist was replaced by another flunky named Carrie Woolsey. So 
Wolseley. So uh, there you go, guys. There's your scoop. We know who the people are that apparently saw their felt that their consciences were were pricked at some point and said, I shouldn't be involved in illegal behavior and citing these forms under penalty of perjury and submitting them to the SEC. Maybe that was a really bad idea. Um, and they resigned. Uh, but only two of the 12 had the uh, I was going to say a word, a backbone, let's say backbone uh, to resign. The other 10, of course, did not. So anyway, there you go. There's your scoop. Mark, I just, I would add too. I just want to be on the record saying this. Um, it is, there is a good chance that of these 12 business managers, including the two additional ones that replaced the two that resigned were willing participants. They knew they were breaking rules, but they were willing to go along with the church and do it. I also see scenarios where they could be very naive and be victims as well. And I would want our audience to recognize both Absolutely. possibilities. I mean, when you work for the church, you bow your head and say yes, right? I mean, that's that's just what you do. And people, I think there's a, some self-selection. The people that work for the church, we don't know how old these people are. We don't know how experienced. I think RFM, you made a point that they were probably young people that didn't know any better. We don't know that. that was um, but, but, but that could be the case. I just don't know. No, that was Bill. Um, that was Bill that said that. Okay. Well, anyway, either way, I mean, it's, I mean, let's hope that they didn't know what they were doing because if, if anyone, you know, had any experience with the law, they would have had real reservations from signing a document under penalty of perjury involving billions and billions of dollars and submitting it to the federal government under penalty of perjury. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Why would you do that without at least knowing what was in it? Yeah. They knew it was wrong. Sorry. That's no, okay. I, whether I they're victims or not, but you don't you don't do something like that as a uh, what do you call as a financial investment manager who presumably has gone through some amount of school and has some amount of maturity. Uh, you don't sign off on crap that you don't know is true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm at the point in the show where I would want to show something you did recently, RFM, a nice brilliant idea oh, that you had. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I would love to do that, but I did want to ask Mark a question. If that's Please, okay. that's what I was going to say. Is there anything else we need to cover here? Mark, Friday is the due date for $4 million to be paid to the SEC uh, by uh, Enzyme Peak and $1 million to be paid to the SEC by the church. Are there different funds that they're going to go to in order to get that money? Or is that just more illusion than reality? I, I doubt it. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, the church is so awash with cash that they could take it from anywhere. You know, I, mean, I really have no idea. Uh, technically, it should come from the church's funds, but I think they said in their press release that they're not using tithing money to pay these funds. But that's kind of silly because they also said they didn't use tithing money to build the mall, right? And of course they did. They used the earnings on the tithing money to build the mall. So that's just highly disingenuous. And I don't believe anything they say. I mean, when they say here that, that, you know, no tithing money is being used to pay these fines. I mean, what do you, how do you even, how, how do you even decide where that money comes from? I, it's ridiculous. And Mark, can you tell our audience, I think you might've mentioned this before, but now as of at least Friday, what are the three known disbursements that have ever been made from the Enzyme Peak Advisors Investment Fund? Well, there's two really that I'm uh, the, the one is to bail out beneficial life insurance company. There's uh, one. And, and it had gone insolvent because of bad financial management. Uh, right. And 
the other one is that they spent $1.4 billion to build part of the mall. And I, I don't know if that's the full full cost, but they did uh, contribute to the mall. Um, is there one I'm missing? Yeah. A $4 million fine to the SEC. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that's important about that is that I, I feel like, uh, um, the, the analogy I, I said the other day is, you know, these monies are commingled. Uh, the, the, uh, Pete doesn't just manage money for the church. It also manages the endowment for BYU. And it also manages a, a company called Deseret Trust Company, which is where people who have uh, want to leave money to the church in some sort of living will, they'll do it. I, I, I hope I'm remembering that name right. It's Deseret Trust Company. So they they also manage other large funds of money for other companies. And one of the things they agreed in here is that they don't manage anyone else's money, but they kind of do. I mean, BYU is a separate entity and they manage their endowment is my understanding. So. Okay, great. So, Mark, what what is your basic understanding of the egregiousness or lack thereof of this entire LLC scheme that the church has been engaged in for about twenty years? So, so most of my most of my experiences in fraud, I, I specialize in uh, securities fraud, um, business fraud, and Ponzi schemes. Most of the SEC uh, settlements that I've negotiated over the last twenty nine years, they look similar to this. But they usually uh, have uh, um, uh, they usually have penalties under 10b5, uh, which is the the fraud section of the SEC, the Securities Act, um, and this one does not. So this is this is arguably a technical violation of not filing forms. I think in the big scheme of things, many people would say, "Oh, this is kind of just a slap on the wrist." Um, it certainly isn't significant in terms of fines. But it, but it is unusual in the sense that they issued this order, which is so detailed and so lengthy, unusually so. Um, so I think it's an unusual thing. It hit all the papers for a reason. People are interested in churches paying fines to the SEC, which never happens. So I don't know. I mean, failing to file a form in, in some different contexts wouldn't be that big of a deal, to be honest with you. It's not fraud. Um, I, I've tried to be clear about this, that, that they have not been charged with fraud in the technical sense, from the legal sense. Yeah. And I want to be clear too. We're using that word a lot. And just to make sure that we cover our ass, we're using it in the sense of a deception that you're essentially supposed to do things a certain way. And instead you're doing it some other way that's against the against the way the rules work. We're not mm -hmm. saying that on a legal level that the church was accused or, uh, or found guilty of fraud. Yeah. One other quick anecdote that that if you may you may or may not know this anecdote, it was it, it appeared in David Nielsen's submission, which was later leaked by his brother, um, is a story of of Boyd. By the way, Mark, Mark, yeah. was there any connection between that Troy Nielsen that you mentioned who resigned? One of the two. No, okay, no connection. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just a common Mormon name. <laughs> right. Uh, that uh, no, they're not. Uh, I know that for a fact. Um, so so uh, when the when the whistleblower report was leaked uh, to The Washington Post, um, his brother issued a, a public version of that at some level. And the, the, my favorite story is how Boyd K. Packer showed up one day and pounded on the door of Enzyme Peak Advisors and said, I'm the president of the Quorum of the Twelve and you need to tell me what the hell you're doing here and what much money do you have? And uh, Roger Clark, who was running Enzyme Peak at the time, said, I'm sorry, President Packer, I know who you are and I appreciate it, but I cannot tell you how much money we have. Only the first presidency knows this number. 
and that I think remains remained the case until well until Uchtdorf was kicked out of the twelve. So that's kind of an unusual situation, right? Because he had the knowledge and then got kicked out. And then of course when it got revealed to the whole world, uh, now they all know. And now I think that in a way they're probably kind of relieved because they were kind of having to do this fra- this nefarious scheme for years and years, and now it's out. And who knows? Maybe they'll be more uh, upfront and more transparent. I've got a question, which is in your experience watching this from afar and, and seeing cases up close, in situations where the senior management is caught having done this, is it normal for that senior management to continue on in leadership or do or or can you share with us maybe how often or unoften uh the senior management is allowed to stay in leadership or is resigns or is let go. I'd be interested because obviously the way the church runs, those guys get to determine their own destiny, essentially, no matter what anyone else says. Um, You know, it's hard to generalize that bill, but what I would say is that in cases involving public companies um, where the, if you, the CEO is directly involved in something, a scheme such as this, then there's no question the board would call for their resignation and kick them out. Um, yeah. I did a case not long ago involving a company called company called Nikola Motors. Um, some people may know there's a guy named Trevor Milton who's a Utah guy that that ran that company. Uh, we blew the whistle on him and his fraud, and he resigned five days later. That CEO was out so fast your head spun. So it is not normal for uh, senior leadership like this to stay in place after they've been involved, been involved in this kind of scheme. Yeah. But that's of course in a structure where there's a company with board members that are right. actually responsible to the shareholders. Yeah. Well, apparently Jesus is, is the board member at the church. I'm not quite sure how that works, but <laughs> he's not paying attention right now. With apologies to Frank Sinatra, him. Jesus is the chairman of the board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he may not be paying attention or it's all myth anyway, or well, they're not oh, listening. Come on. Come on, where's your testimony? I know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, anyway, I'm happy to. I, I I can stay on and answer questions if you want. If they're Great. or I can drop off. I'm 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 good for a bit. So let me yeah. know what you you're, want me to do. You're welcome to stay with us. I think there's might be things said that you would have a better handle on than the two of us. And I had interrupted you, Bill. I'm sorry. You had wanted to play something and maybe get Mark's take on it. Yeah, I'd love to see what Mark's take is on this. This <laughs> was when I I've listened to this about 30 times so far. Uh, this was RFM about, uh, about a, what, maybe six Last days Thursday. ago. Yeah. Last Thursday morning. Last Thursday morning, RFM was on a walk and he had a light bulb moment and I found it to be absolutely brilliant. Uh, Maven, if you'll reset it and throw it up on the screen. I got a new idea for a lawsuit against the LDS church today. You know, a lot of lawsuits have been filed in recent years, wanting tithing money back on the basis that the church has misrepresented its religious beliefs to its members. Those lawsuits have typically gone nowhere because they've gotten bogged down in the protections provided by the First Amendment. But this week, the landscape has completely changed. This week, the church has number one admitted that it intentionally broke the law in order to conceal from its members the fact that it had 32 billion billion dollars in the U.S. stock market. Number two, the church has also admitted through its representatives that one of the reasons for doing that was because they were worried that if the members knew how much money the church had, the members would not pay tithing. 
So what if a lawsuit were filed by one or more members of the church claiming that if they had known that the LDS church had $32 billion in the U.S. stock market, they wouldn't have paid tithing. And that because of that reason, the church owes them their tithing back during the period that the church was engaged in the self-admitted fraud. That would be an interesting lawsuit. No First Amendment there, just straight up corporate damages for fraud. Interesting idea, huh? <laughs> Cue evil laughter. Uh, and I guess I use the F word twice, but still. <laughs> Again, just to just to repeat, RFM is using it in the secondary, not the legal meaning, but the secondary meaning, a person or thing intended to deceive others, typically or unjustifiably claiming or being credited with accomplishments or qualities. So anyway, there's that. Um, your thoughts is, do you think there is any room at this point for one or more Latter-day Saints or ex-Latter-day Saints who paid tithing between those years to, to take a legal action and notify essentially the church that had it known, because the church has already admitted it thinks that if people had known, they wouldn't have given tithing. If on the other side of that coin, members acknowledge that if they had known, they would not have paid tithing and enter a legal action to get that back. Your thoughts on the feasibility of that? Uh, well, RFM can be lead counsel, I guess, uh, if he wants to do that. I, I, uh, I, I always, you know, I live in Utah. I live in Salt Lake City. Um, I practice in front of the bench, the, the the judges here, and I have a. I just am very pessimistic about the success of any lawsuit in Utah. Um, James Huntsman, who's a friend of mine. Uh, filed his lawsuit in California. Uh, his was based on doctrinal issues. And the real key issue defense in that case was that tithes are given voluntarily, not with conditions. They're they're not, you, you can't put conditions on tithing. I don't think the church would even allow it. It would even accept it. So, and of course, there's the language on the bottom of the tithing slip that says, you know, this is our money to do with what we want. So I don't know. I mean, I, I let me say this. I think it's inevitable that someone's going to do that. I hope that they find very good, competent, uh, well-established counsel, and I hope that they file it outside of Utah. Um, that's that's my thought. I'm thinking Glendale. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> California or Delaware, huh? Hey, can I say one other thing? Uh, you Please. guys had a, a point really quick. I, I was just going to say I could add to this. You were wondering, uh, 34, $37 billion that's in this order is just a fraction of the total portfolio, which we don't know the currently what it is. It's about $100 billion, we understand. The uh, Wall Street Journal, if anyone's interested, the Wall Street Journal article about the revelations in David Nelson's report was fantastic and had some real key uh, uh, responses from the Enzyme Peak itself, admitting that they were worried about tithing and also admitting that they have $100 billion. The majority of that is in uh, is the reason it's only 37 as opposed to 100 is that it's managed by outside money managers. The church uses many outside money managers in the U.S. and overseas uh, to manage its money. So the re it only needs to file Rule 13F reports for money that it manages itself. But the big chunk that you don't see is because that's going to show up in some other money managers report where they're managing money for the church. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. 
Perfect. All right. So I'm going to throw up, I should have done this maybe a couple minutes ago, but I was entertained here in the conversation as well. Phil phone is doing a lot of folks. throwing up tonight. Yeah. 662-667-6667 or 662-MORMONS with an S on the end. Uh, folks, if you want to call in, we would very much like to put a few of you on the air and have a conversation. I can only imagine uh, how angry or hurt some of you are uh, learning the degree that this deception took place and in the official statement by the church sort of obfuscating and distancing themselves from it. But hey, we've come to expect that from LDS leaders. And so we've got our first caller. I'm actually going to skip the screening and try to pull them on and give me just a second. Caller, I'm going to try to make sure I got you connected to the Bluetooth. And by the way, I'm getting word, and I don't know how late this word is, that uh, Gerardo may be wanting to join us. And if he does, I'm more than happy to have him join us. We've got an empty square available on the screen with Gerardo's name on it, if he yeah. wishes to join. Love it. All right, caller, what's the name? Oh, I don't have you on my thing yet. Give me just a second here. Let's try that. All right, go ahead, my friend. You are on Mormonism Live. What are your thoughts about uh, all of this investment scheme stuff going on with the church? So as we've previously established, um, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve are not infallible. As such, they have the capability to make mistakes, like all of us, and like all of us, need to be held accountable for those things. So to me, based on reading the Handbook of Instructions, the section on membership councils, it's clear that the First Presidency and the presiding bishopric need to be subject to church discipline and a membership council to determine the appropriate steps. Yeah, they, it's, it feels like there probably is some repentance that is needed. Um, I'll just read this because this whole thing, this whole thing originated with Gordon B. Hinckley. Um, we're, we're putting it, again, at the feet of the current First Presidency. They're certainly liable and just as responsible as any of the others behind them. But Gordon B. Hinckley, who initiated this matter, just a month or two before they created Enzyme Peak, there was a big article in Time magazine, and this is what President Hinckley said. The money the church receives from faithful members is consecrated. It is the Lord's purse. The funds for which we are responsible involve a sacred trust to be handled with absolute honesty and integrity and with great prudence as the dedicated consecrations of the people. We feel tremendous responsibility to you who make these contributions. We feel an even greater responsibility to the Lord whose money this is. And I just want to note, he's, he's talking out both sides of his mouth in that quote, because behind the scenes, inevitably, they are organizing Enzyme Peak advisors with the strategy to do the very scheme that's about to take place. Yeah, the, the word that leaps out at me from that quote is the word sacred. The funds for which we are responsible involve a sacred trust, because my experience with the church is that when they say sacred, they also mean secret. Yeah. Gerardo, um, how are you doing? Hey, RFM, Bill, Mark, how's it going? Great. Why is it that you have graced us with your presence tonight? <laughs> I just wanted to make a comment and probably a question to Mark. Um, I've seen some apologists on TikTok talk about the SEC um, scheme. And um, 
It is my under. I, well, what I've seen is that most of them are trying to separate, are trying really hard to separate Ensign Peak with the church. As we saw in the document that you guys just read, um, it seems like, you know, Ensign Peak didn't do anything unless approved by the first presidency. But it's my understanding that the main reason why the church can't separate Ensign Peak uh, from itself is because they want Ensign Peak to have all the benefits of a religion that they, they have as a religion, you know, the tax-free benefits and any other benefits that, that religions get on top of that, you know, uh, for being a religion. Uh, so they really cannot separate Ensign Peak uh, from them, from, you know, they can't say, oh, Ensign Peak is its own entity and we are the church. Mm -hmm. Is that is that true, Mark? Yeah, it is actually. And there's, uh, it also is a licensure issue. So if there's anyone listening who is involved in the uh, uh, financial services industry, you know that if you work in that industry, you have to have a license to sell securities or to give investment advice. And if, however, there's an exemption for folks that are just managing uh, money internally for uh, like a church or a nonprofit, and that's the exemption that they're seeking for. So the Inside Pink, if they were licensed and registered as investment advisors, would have to file all sorts of disclosures and sub be subject to uh, audits and everything from the SEC, and they do not want that. So you're right. Um, and there's also tax implications 100%. Um, you know, the church has said that they're all charitable, but none of this money is used for charity. Um, and to me that, you know, if there's one takeaway from this story that I hope even active members take, it's that um, the church does nothing with this money that's charitable. They they just hoard it like, you know, Gollum or something. I mean, it's it's uh, or, or what's the name of the dragon in Lord Maug. of the yeah, there we go. I mean, it's like it's like, are you a church or are you what are you? And and if if Jesus Christ was here, what would he do with this money? If you guys claim to be the true church of Jesus Christ on earth, what the hell are you doing with a hundred billion dollars that hasn't been not a penny of which has been used to help the poor? Um, no, and I, I was going to say that. Um, oh, let me think. What was the first thing I was going to say about that? That's why I wanted to go over with you and rehearse the three disbursements that EPA has made during the entire existence is one to bail out a private or for-profit entity, Beneficial Life. Another one was to bail out a for-profit entity being the City Creek Mall. And the third one was to pay this $4 million fine to the SEC for violating the law. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that that whole thing about the licensure issue that you mentioned, Mark, I did note was in the order from the SEC. It's on page two under respondents, paragraph two, Enzyme Peak, where right. it says Enzyme Peak's managing director is appointed by the church's first presidency and reports to the senior leadership of the church, then Enzyme Peak is exempt from registration as an investment advisor with the commission, which exempts investment advisors. It gives a, a long section in reference. It exempts investment advisors that are charitable organizations that also solely advise other charitable organizations. Mm -hmm. So Enzyme Peak is registered as a charitable organization. And part of that is that it solely advises other charitable organizations, which means the LDS church. So I don't know how on earth you can call Enzyme Peak a charitable organization, which has done nothing for charity. But <laughs> I guess that's on the paperwork, along with all the dummy 13F filings signed by people who don't who are not real business managers. 
that just so you know, the, you know, there are two aspects to this whistleblower case and I, I represent whistleblowers. That's the biggest part of my practice. Now I do not represent David Nelson for uh, due to conflict reasons, but the issue here is that he filed two whistleblower complaints, one with the SEC, but the bigger one, so everyone knows, is still out there, and it's it's with the IRS um, and raising these exact issues. Yeah. Right, and so the IRS may have longer teeth. It, it, it remains to be seen. Yeah, we'll have to see, and there may or may not be a some kind of I don't know class action that's looming on the horizon. And let's let's work in a phone call because I think we've got Kobe Reddick maybe on the phone. So let All me right. check here. Hi, oh, Gerardo. Yeah, Gerardo. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. Are you leaving us now? Yes. Okay, good night to you. Yeah, good night. Thank you, my friend. All right. Uh, is this Kobe? Hello? Uh, I'm Are gonna... you talking to me? Oh, yeah. Sorry. You're on the line. It is not. It said, to me? it said oh. Reddick as I was making an assumption, but who do I have on the phone? <laughs> This is Heather Reddick. Heather Reddick, how are you? And howdy, y'all. Excellent. What do you have for us tonight <laughs> on Mormonism I'm Live? Good. Thank you. What do you think? Well, I just, I, I do have a couple questions, but also, like, I've been thinking about this all, you know, the last week since this came out, and I, I'm, I just have to say, it's been emotional for me. Yeah, me too. I think somebody put up there, you know, I wonder, I wonder if uh, somebody put up there if, if Peter Ustorf is. Is crying. Well, I've literally shed some tears here, mostly just because you know I consider like, you know, like, like what Mark mentioned. You know, nothing charitable done with this money. It's a huge amount of money. There's a great deal of suffering in the world, and that you know, even just a small portion of that money could have gone a long way to re to relieve a lot of human suffering in this in this world. So that's that's kind of where my head has been thinking these last couple of days. Um, as we've been talking, I've I'm, I've just been kind of thinking like, okay, what does this mean now? Like what happens next? What does this mean for, you know, for the church for, uh, you know, going forward and the first presidency, will they be held accountable? Um, like, <laughs> will they actually change or will it just continue? <laughs> Business is normal or what? Um, I know that, you know, Mark mentioned there's still that IRS thing pending and maybe, maybe we'll find out, you know, years from now what, what happens with all of that. But, um, you know, I wonder, like, you know, the tax exempt status, is that going to, is that going to stay? And maybe this is my question for Mark, if, if you know, like, is that something that the IRS, um, findings will resolve? Like, how, how does this, how does the church keep its tax exempt status and can that be taken away with any of this? <clears throat> um, do you want yeah. me to like continue or let you guys talk about it or? <laughs> no, I think that's a great question. I'd love to hear Mark's answer. Well, um, I, I am I am many things and a tax expert is not one of them. Um, uh, and my wife would tell me that I'm many things I that I'm not a lot of the things I think I am. But I will say this, that uh, that uh, the uh, there's a study out there that said it would take this this and, and, and I really agree with your comment. Um, there's a study out there that says, that it would only take $4 billion to eradicate hunger in the world, in the world. Now, I don't, I don't know where the hell that comes from, but that's pretty, if that's true, 
you know, what what better way to fix all the PR damage that this has this order has wrought than to start spending this money to help others and to help people and do Christ-like service throughout the world? How about hiring janitors for the church, the word buildings? How about uh, sending missionaries, paying for missionaries to go on missions instead of making the families pay? How about giving uh Instead of asking for fast offerings, why don't you just pay for that food to be given to church members who are in need, especially in Africa, in South America? I mean, I'll, honestly, I mean, the church could do so much good in the world and it does nothing and it infuriates me. And that's, you know, I'm my family's not happy with me for speaking out about this stuff. I have a very uh, uh, orthodox family and um, but I just can't stop it. And I, I'm just too angry about it. Yeah. Yeah, and all those things, uh, absent that $4 billion, yeah. all those things that you're talking about could be done by the church easily, easily, without even dipping into the money they have in the Enzyme Peak account. They could just do this off the surplus that they make in tithing. You know what they year. also could do is they could they could end the practice of tithing because the interest and in income from this fund is about double what their annual tithing revenues are, which are about $5 billion. The If you do the math, the revenues from this fund are about $10 billion a year. Why the hell do they need tithing from anybody, especially the people in, in, in the Philippines and in Africa? They, could, they should turn that off today, and they won't. By the way, Mark, I had, I had made what uh, I had hoped was... Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Go ahead, caller. Oh, I, I was just going to... I second that motion. Uh, but go ahead and finish your thing. I do have one other question, though. Oh, go ahead and ask it, please. Okay. Uh, my other question is, what now for us? Can you give us a call to action? What actions can we take? Um, what can we do, <laughs> if anything? Is there anything, any way that, like, us old ex-Mormons can, you know, act to help make the church accountable? Um, can I can I respond, guys? I... I I, there is something you can do. Um, one of them is that uh, you can call the Senate Finance Committee in Washington and call your senators, especially those of you who are outside of Utah, um, uh, and ask them to hold the church accountable for its crimes. The reason that, that David Nelson and his lawyers filed their report with the Senate Finance Committee is to try to urge them to urge the IRS to take action. And that is what they're trying to do. And if you, if we start flooding their, their, uh, flooding their, their phone lines with people urging them to take action, I think that might move the ball a little bit. And I can see that, uh, that, um, I guess, Bill, did you post that, um, that phone number? Yeah. So, so there's a phone number in the comments and you can use that and call that, um, uh, that number and urge them to take action because the I can tell you I've, I have very large uh, whistleblower cases with the IRS pending, including uh, one that's a billion dollar tax case, um, and they are very, very slow, but they do respond to political pressure, and that is one thing you can do. Is it fair to say that, again, when you say that, the system responds to political pressure and it's slow to respond otherwise, and when cases are even legitimate, it seems like everybody just kind of gets allowed to do what they want to do. <laughs> it, it, you're, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it feels to me as though it's a, a piece of a larger broken system. It is. And um, I can give you an example. Let me tell you just real quick. Uh, the case I have pending before the IRS 
is involving the Washakie Renewable Energy Plant in northern Utah. That was run by the Kingston uh, Polygamist Group here in Salt Lake City. It's one of the largest tax fraud schemes in the history of the United States. The perpetrators of that have been in prison for two years, and the IRS still hasn't finished its investigation and hasn't done anything to reward the whistleblowers who've been waiting over nine years for action in that case. So let me just tell you, the, the federal government is is not fast. The IRS is very understaffed and not fast. And um, it's a very frustrating thing to do the work I do. There's reason not many lawyers choose to be so stupid as to be a whistleblower lawyer. It's, it's, in, it's, it's, it's maddeningly slow. Seems like, though, with things like the LDS Church, there'd be a lot of extra income for the IRS to uh, take down the yeah, LDS yeah. Church. Yeah, I, I don't think they would ever take away the, the, um, the status of the church. As no, a, but to penalize them to penalize $4 billion, them, you know? To actually make them hurt in some way, you know, I yeah. think that would be great. But there are political pressures. I mean, Mitt Romney is a very powerful person, and so is Mike Lee. And, and there's lots of uh, LDS representatives in Congress, yeah. and, and they're, they're dealing with the realities of politics, and that's the problem. I'm, I'm it's like something I read about in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm beginning to lose hope that goodness wins in the end. Like I just, I, I just, it, it just doesn't feel like that's the way the world's set up. Anyway. Well, like Barb, like Robert E. Howard wrote, ultimately barbarism will triumph. Yeah. Ultimately. Yep. All right. Uh, let's take another couple of calls and then uh, I'll turn it over to you guys for any last thoughts. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Uh, any thoughts from you? Hello. Is that you got me on there? I do. You're on the air. Mormonism Live. Says something. You got a question about licensing. Oh, I no, I, I about the uh um you know about Ensign Peak. I I just had a couple of things. Everybody keeps on talking about you know the amount of money that the church has. I just thought I'd put that in perspective for some people. Uh, Bill, how many days do you think it would take if I were to give you a dollar a second to get $7 million? To get $7 billion? It would to, it, get to get to $1 million. To get to $1 million. I have no idea. Dollar a Take second. a wild guess. Uh, Seven years. 14 <laughs> years. It's 11.5 days. 11.5 days. You know... Uh, how many years it would be if I, if you were to give me, if I were to give you a dollar per second to get to a hundred billion dollars, uh, it would take me 82 lifetimes. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's Two uh, weeks. 30, almost 32,000 years. 32,000 years. Get that. That's more than two weeks. Yeah. 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 No, a you billion know, is can, a, a lot more than a million. Hold off the uh, Russian military for, for a full year. With a hundred billion dollars, yeah, you can make things happen. Um, there's just like so many things wrong with the with the scenario that they are presenting to us. I mean, we really we really can't even wrap our mind around how much money this is. And it's, like y'all like like y'all say, it's just not there. But the basic understanding I have of these 13F filings is that it's just to kind of inform the market, um, so people like Warren Buffett. Like people can kind of see where their money's gone, come and gone to. So it's not necessarily that they were doing anything 
like really, really illegal in the eyes of the market because they were showing where the plays were made. <clears throat> that being said, it, it's, it's pretty much for me, it was just solely to keep this money from the members so that yeah. we wouldn't understand it. Yeah. And um, y- y'all talked about the uh, informant that, that essentially revealed the fact that the purpose of this whole scheme was just to just keep us um, from not knowing about the money and not paying tithing. And the point I just want to make is like, like the thing that gets to my soul is that the church doesn't have faith in us to pay tithing and they expect us to have the faith to pay tithing. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I just, I was, I was thinking about uh, uh, our friends, you know, always talking about miracles and, and Bednard's uh, famous quote of uh, like, Faith not to be healed. Faith to not be healed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I was like, man, this has got to be the best uh, general conference talk for uh, Bednar next, next go around to, um, you know, do you not, or do you have the faith to not pay tithing? We are just seeing like such an idiotic scenario here. And they just want to like blow it over us. Like we don't even matter. And I, and the guy that's on right now, I'm sorry, I, I missed your name, but you, what, what is the final, whenever they, whenever they made their public statement, what was the final uh, words that they said? Yeah. Move on. Basically. Matter this matter is closed. Nothing we to say. The that's case is solved. No, yeah. we consider this matter closed. <laughs> yes, that's right. Damn but, it. That's, but wait, but we, for, we forgot the apology, regret mistakes made. We but, regret mistakes made. Yes, by those yeah, somebody, lawyers somebody, not us. who misadvised us on how we were supposed to keep our members in the dark. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, so I, funny I because what one, they're saying, what they're saying is, we're blaming the lawyers for keeping the money hidden that we told the lawyers to keep hidden. So, so my, I have one last question. Like, and and the act church is 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 what? Say that again. You broke up a little bit there. Like the the actual name of the our church isn't isn't it not the corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints or the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? Well, the name of the church isn't that the beneficiary of and it's certainly incorporated. The okay, they just yeah, recently yeah, merged two of them. Sure, sure. One second here. So they just merged. They had two corporations. Yeah. They merged them, right. and now I'm sitting here wondering if the merging somehow made all of this run smoother. Well, I think it took the presiding yeah, bishopric out and of I it and put everything if, just under the president of the church, which would consolidate all of the LLCs yeah, and, as the LLCs are being consolidated back to the Enzyme Peak. So, so does that make was... Nelson the you know one of the top ten uh, richest people in the world? Yeah. Well, like I said, he has really nice ties. That's terrifying. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, Paula. And then, and then, can I say one last thing? Sure, please. There was one one um, play that the church made after they started actually filing underneath SEC, and I think this is this is this is. To me, this is the heart of this whole scheme is that, you know, the investments that they make might go uh, completely against 
what people in the church believe. There was a lot of anti-vaxxers in the church. If the church was donating money to like Pfizer, that would cause conflict of interest with the members. <clears throat> but this, uh, they invested 900K into GameStop and that whole scheme was going and took away, I think it's 900%. So 900K went to $8.6 million. And the people at Inside Peak, they recognized it was like a retail investor opportunity that, um, that brought a lot of people in that didn't know what they were doing. And to me, they, because of their skill, they're obviously very skilled investors. They literally walked away, you know, with mom and pop investors money. And, you know, that's really like when we get down and we really see where they've invested this money, you know, they don't care about the people of this planet, you know? And, uh, I just, I just, I just wish they wouldn't do it. I wish they would, um, pay the taxes on it or just give it back to, to the people that gave it to them. Yeah. Especially since it's been done under a sort of deceptive practice. Yeah. I wish that too. But of course, you know, yeah. if, a frog had a glass ass it would only hop once you guys want me to respond Thanks, to the, the question on the screen um yeah please by all means real quick uh the answer the answer in my view is no uh this this in the big scheme of things is not something that would send someone to jail if this was not a church these are essentially technical violations i hate to break it to people but not filing these forms are not going to put anyone in prison i'm sorry to say no, but the integrity and ethical nature of doing carrying the scheme out behind the scenes says a lot about the human beings willing to do that. Certainly. Yeah, thank you. And from my point of view, oh, here's Maven, but oh. I just can't get over the fact that these are these are prophet seers and revelators. These are true apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they are at the head of the only true and living church and they get their marching orders directly from the creator of the universe. Yeah. It just boggles my mind. Maven. Yeah. yeah I just, I was just adding another call to action. I, and I uh, put it in once, but I'll just put it in again too. Um, and Nemo has crafted a brilliant letter uh, that can be sent to your stake president and other leaders. So i putting that up on the screen and also in the uh, um, uh, in the chat there. So you can click the link. Also, Wait a second. Um, Does Nemo have permission from church lawyers to send out these letters? <laughs> I hope everybody has seen the Brit Vengers podcast that I'm riffing on about that. Yeah. So that that's 21st century saints. If anyone doesn't know um, that reached out to a lot of bishops to uh, in the UK, oh, well, I think all all the bishops, every bishop in the UK, to let them know about safeguarding that's for child abuse, safeguarding against child abuse, and the church lawyers said, did you didn't that have like permission that. from us to send these out to your bishops, yeah. and in the future, good sir, I would appreciate it if you would send any such correspondence directly to the lawyers and not to the bishops, and we'll do but not the ones, we not the pay. ones, not the ones in California or Delaware. Right. <laughs> by the way delaware uh look this is back in the 80s i was in law school i barely stayed awake during my corporations class but my the one thing i took away from that is that delaware was a favorable place to incorporate because of the laws that they had that encouraged it and a lot of corporations incorporate in delaware because of that reason does that yeah. sound right to you mark uh yeah i mean does it you mean does it sound legal oh i think it's legal <laughs> but uh, that sound correct to you it's some, I mean, I, I'm not sure I understand the question, uh, but I, I, 
you just said a lot of corporations uh, incorporate in Delaware because the oh. the laws there are favorable. Correct, to correct, and and very um, opaque. You can't tell who owns owns an entity. I do think, by the way, that lawyers did advise the church on what they were supposed to do. If you look at the church's press release, you'll see it's very, very carefully crafted to avoid that point. They say that they received counsel from lawyers. Yes. They didn't say whether they followed it. They clearly did not. The lawyers would have told them that the the, the shell companies need to manage actual money, and they didn't do it that way. Yes. Since 2000, the year 2000, uh, Enzyme Peak received and relied upon yeah. legal counsel. But didn't which says follow nothing. Except an attempt to not follow. except an attempt to blame the lawyers. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't say anything other than that. We always get thrown under the bus, don't we? Oh yeah, absolutely. R RFM, I think I know the answer to this uh, question, but someone wanted to ask if it was legal to send uh, Nemo's letter to the entire stake because someone did that uh, on Reddit. Uh, I, I'm guessing they used LDS tools. And just went. Can for I it. say something? <laughs> just because the church doesn't want you to use the addresses that they collect for their own purposes. And you, they don't want you to use it for your private purposes. Doesn't make it illegal, right? Okay, I have no idea what's going on over there in England because they're getting crazier and crazier all the time. It's getting pretty crazy here in the United States of America. But I think it's still legal to put a letter in the freaking mail to whoever you want, as long as you attach sufficient postage. Yeah, I would recommend if it ever got to the point where somebody sought a cease and desist order of, of some sort against you, obviously, then not. But until then, it's just uh, licking the back of a stamp and throwing it in the mailbox. Right. It's just so so many people are concerned. Oh, the church said you can't do this. So is it illegal to do something that the church says you can't do? Answer, yes, because the church isn't mm -hmm. the government yet. Especially if it's your ward or stake. Those are your friends. They're people that you saw at conferences. They're, you have the right to initiate correspondence with those folks until you're told otherwise. Even if you Legally. don't know it from Adam, you can send him stuff in the mail. Yeah. As long as it's not threatening or otherwise objectionable under the law. Yeah. One of the best parts yeah. about stepping away from the church is not giving a shit what church leaders tell you to do or not do. Yeah. yeah. I've got uh, two more calls. Let me try to throw these in really quick. Uh, caller, you're on the air. What's your name? By the way, Mark, we may be making a TikTok out of that, just so you know. Okay, great. <laughs> Walt, great to have you on. So go ahead. You're on Mormonism Live. What are your thoughts? Hi. Um, I just have a kind of a technical question, and Mark probably is the best person to answer it. So there's these Form 13F forms that were kind of the crux of this issue, and that's 13 capital F. And the SEC order mentions that the fine, as I understand it, is for violating rule 13 small f in parentheses. Are, are those two designators related? So like the form 13F is in order to comply with rule 13F, or is that just a coincidence? I, I think so. I, I don't have it on the top of my head, and I don't actually help people file those forms in my practice, but I, my, I assume that's the case. Rule 13F requires disclosure uh, to the public of large uh, portfolios over $100 million. Um, the church clearly was over that threshold by a long shot. And so the SEC decided long ago, and or Congress did, that that information should be public for everyone to see so that people can, who, lit, companies like this that can move markets, that needs to be public information. Um, the I forget the number, but the church's position in Apple stock is something like, it's over a billion dollars just in Apple stock alone. And so if the church decided tomorrow to 
just to just sell it all for whatever reason. They didn't like that the CEO is gay or something. I don't know what, but um, the the then that could move the market in a significant way. And the SEC wants players like that to make full disclosure about what they have. And that's the rule. And the form they do that on is matches the name of the rule. So I assume that's intentional. Yeah. Sweet. Thank okay. you, caller. Great. Um, Oops, sorry, I already clicked drop. Sorry about that. Um, all right. Any other thoughts? We've got one more phone call. Just Mark, there's a question that's being asked. It's on the screen. Could the signers of the false documents be charged with, it says, and jailed I, for perjury? I, I suppose technically, yes. Um, I do okay. think if I were those guys, I'd be very nervous, but I think it's unlikely. I Usually in cases like this, the SEC, if they're going to do something like that, they'll do it all at once. They don't file an action, settle an action, and then go after individuals separately. They would have done it already. So I think it's unlikely. Gotcha. All right. And then the last call I've got for the night, um, looks like maybe James. James, you're on the, on the line. Um, you're on Mormonism Live. Yeah, Bill, um, out of curiosity, uh, with your Mormon discussion organization, uh, do you specifically detail to your donors and the public what all their donations go toward and how much money you have due to their donations? So uh, I don't know what our, you're putting me on the spot. So we put all of our trans, let me say it differently. We put all of our finances uh, transparently on our website. So if you go to mormondiscussions.org, our uh 990, which is the name of the nonprofit form, is there for the past, whatever it is, four years, five years. And then older ones, I have some of the info there because when you're a nonprofit and you bring in $50,000 under that, you fill out a 990 postcard and then you do the 990 easy and then you do the regular 990 form. Um, I do everything that our accountant tells us to do. Um, to be uh, to follow all the rules, and we post beyond above and beyond following all the rules. We post our 990 on our websites so that anybody who has a question about the way we're doing things can go there. I don't have any transaction, any additional money that isn't accounted for on those forms. And as far as I know, I'm following all the rules that I'm supposed to as a nonprofit. This isn't James Patterson, is it? Oh. No. Okay. So then, um, so then I guess, uh, does everybody that's donating, like, so they, they're aware and, you know, they, you have their approval of whatever the money goes toward. So the donors donate to each podcast specifically, and we pay the podcasters, uh, out of those funds. Uh, and then we maintain the overhead of their podcast with the rest of it. And then obviously as the uh, executive director of the nonprofit, I'm paid a salary by the board of directors uh, from the amount as well. And so well, that you know, caller, that, you know, caller, what, what I mean, is that Ben Larson? I'm sorry, I got the name wrong before. Ben Larson, just so you know, this is the way, the way Mormon discussions operates business is the way the LDS church should be operating business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's and really what I'm taking I, again, away from this. Unless you have a specific claim of something I'm doing wrong, I don't I don't know what you're trying to do. Um, well, what, I think what, what he's I'm trying to do is, is that, distract like, the, attention away yeah. from the wrongdoing of the church. So that's what I yeah. think Ben Larson's trying to do. Do you disagree with me, Ben Larson? I Isn't that what you're trying hung, to do? So first off, I just hung up only because he came under a false pretense 
and is trying to do that. So again, if, if callers have any questions, again, I think I'm following all the rules to a T. I check with my accountant multiple times a year to make sure we're doing things right. Um, I, I also have a independent accountant who has oversight over our finances and keeps an eyes, uh, eye on things as well to ensure that we're not running amok or doing something we shouldn't be doing. We also have to report, for instance, donors who donate $5,000 or more a year to the podcast. We have to report that. And I think, uh, again, um, I think we're following every single rule uh, that was required of us uh, as a nonprofit. So thank you. Yeah, such a strange thing, isn't it? LDS Church, go and do thou likewise. Yeah. I'll tell you too, just to kind of wrap up the show, Oh, I'm sorry. Ben Larson is saying, no, it wasn't Ben Larson. Anyway, whoever that was, my comments apply to them. Forgive me for getting names wrong. I was misinformed. Yeah, I'll just, I'll finish saying that as I've been sitting thinking about this for the last week, I read the report in full, what was it, yesterday morning or day before in the morning? And it struck me how egregious all of this maneuvering was. And when I read the church's official statement, I f it sensed an entity that was trying to be distant from the reality of what happened and trying to signal to its members to stop talking about it. And I would simply want to note that by the way this all unfolded, by the quotes that are out there by leaders teaching the, the doctrine, it would seem as though the leaders themselves don't believe in the church. It would seem as though the membership that's unwilling to stand up against this doesn't believe in the church. Um, and I'm, I'm as somebody who's out of the church, I'm really struggling to understand why I care more about the integrity and honesty of the institution than its leaders or its members do. I'm struggling to understand that. That's a good question. Unfortunately, you hung up on the last caller, so he couldn't explain it to you. However, if we're approaching the end, we've got a special surprise for you, Mr. Real, and I think Mark will appreciate this as well. All right. There was apparently a podcast that you were doing earlier today with some other podcast person other than myself. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm 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 out there on the scene. I was doing a conversation with Nuance Ho Kara Burrell. Kara Burrell, I heard about this because my attention was drawn to a certain part, like at the six minute mark. Of this okay. interview. Am I picking my nose or something? What am I doing? No, here? no, no. But <laughs> Maven has it ready to play. And yep. I think the entire audience will appreciate this segment. I love it. Alyssa alluded to this at the beginning of the chat. So I hope she's still hanging in here. Arguments. Then yay, you stay in the, your testimony. But then they say something stupid. <laughs> then they can say, well, those they, they're not, you know, official for the church or whatever. Jiminy. Yeah, they, they yeah. attempt to create, uh, I want to make sure I get this right, because RFM will not let me live it down, deniable plausibility, right? So what they do. I just want to rewind a little bit, and I just want you guys to look. I want you guys to look at Kara when he says it. I... Right? So what they do. Wait. Deniable plausibility. Live it down. Deniable hey, plausibility. Kara? Right? So what they do is. <laughs> she sees it this is how much she loves she's, you bill she's she would, smart enough to get it not... but too polite to not she correct you publicly oh, yeah. did i do it yeah. wrong again of course you did you can't <laughs> not do it wrong i challenge you it it's feels plausible like deniability and i'm never gonna let deniable. you hear the end of it you are yeah. a prophet indeed sir my can goodness, we replay it again guys. remember it's plausible deniability it's a very common expression Somewhere along the way, 
you got off course and you refused to get back on. Yeah, I've tried to fix the Brigham Young to Brigham Young, but this one may be one that plagues me until the end of life. So well, this clip is arguments. going to. Then, yay, you say <laughs> your testimony. But then if they say something stupid, <laughs> then Probably they stupid. can say, well, those, they, they're not, you know, official. Here's a prophet, the too. Or whatever. Do you have any? Yeah, they, they yeah. attempt to create. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right. I was in my head thinking, what is the way I normally say Deniable plausibility. <laughs> right? Plausible so what deniability. What they do is. All right. Opposite order of the alphabet. I'm going to try not to forget this one ever again. No, no. By the way, don't leave Bill alone. I'm happy to laugh at myself. It also makes it fair for me to make jokes about you guys. So uh, now what? I'll, now I'll, now oh, I'll be oh, Louis. <laughs> uh, all right. I think we Same. should take deniable plausibility and put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, you, I, we I, should I, do that. <laughs> Mark, right, thank you so much for joining shirts. us tonight. It was just an no unexpected problem. pleasure and joy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on uh, Radio West on KUER on uh, Friday at noon. If anyone's interested, uh, we're sweet. Uh, Doug Fabrizio is doing a an episode on this as well. If people are not sick of it yet, uh, and, apparently people are not sick of it. I was a bit yeah. concerned about that, but we have re reached record highs, an all time high, wow. as we said earlier, of over 800 live viewers and we have maintained over 800 i think since shortly into the episode we're now at three hours and 19 minutes into this episode we're approaching delinean lengths but i thought it was important to go over all of this with some fine detail even though basically you did it last week as well so people know they're very interested they want to understand this and this is something that is a little bit kind of opaque to the regular layperson by which I include myself, even though a lawyer, I do mainly criminal law. Yeah. And I really had to immerse myself in this and by this, I mean the order and all this other stuff in order to really get a grasp and just sit with it and think about it and what all this meant that was going on in order for this massive deception and cover up to be perpetrated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Yeah. The, Just a real quick note to you, uh, RFM. Uh, yes. Our store on? on our on our YouTube channel. You can go to the store now, and we you have can, a store. Yeah, you can purchase the shirts and the mugs. And uh, just to go back to that caller that called before, like we we try to follow all the rules. For instance, this is taxable income, and we we file the appropriate report with the IRS to note that the money made off of merchandise, for instance, is taxable income, and we pay tax on that. Um, I don't have any hesitation. Again, unless there's something going on that I don't know about, um, we do everything the accountant says and we follow every, uh, as the church would say, jot and tittle. So awesome. anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, anything else from you guys? I'll get rid of that. Anything else for you for the episode? Otherwise, we'll just, uh, we'll get out of here. I like the perpetual brief and subliminal reminder that you are a Browns fan. Yeah, which also may explain why uh, I'm crying a lot lately. So, all right. <laughs> Have a great day, guys. Thanks, Thanks you so guys. much. Thanks everybody. for having me. Thank Thanks, you. Mark. <laughs>